I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. C'est un rêve en moi, si vrai, si fort, all the world in The 26th of March. 2023 is going to be remembered as a very important day, I think, in rugby history, mostly for a conversation that was had by a group of of Welsh people where they got together and had a big chat that was very important. And some may think that was the EGM in which Welsh rugby governance was passed to be um, unanimously almost 97 percent all but seven clubs modernize and blah bloody blah now uh, we've hair but, yes yes yeah we're going to introduce people we're going to allow people to have hair it's a revolutionary concept and alan Wynne jones is delighted however actually the most important thing happening the most important conversation between some welsh people that vaguely rugby adjacent is this very conversation as i am delighted to welcome you to the Squid Rugby World Cup retrospective, and welcome Mr. Will Owen. How are you doing? I am extremely honoured. And even more excitingly, to welcome back Grav Steph from Rock and Roll. How are you doing? I'm all right. How are we doing, boys? We okay? We're good. We're good. Extremely (laughs) honoured. Extremely honoured myself as well. (laughs) There's honours all round. How have you been? How have things been since we last had you? How have you been since you escaped from 1987? Well, yeah, because I've done this twice before, mm. and I did the Christmas videos. I think it was the first time. Yeah, and then I did Wales versus a bear that tried to kill Leonardo DiCaprio. So like, <laughs> yes. this is the first time I've watched something that like resembles rugby, as I know rugby. <laughs> this is the so yeah, yeah, it's good. It's exci- I was excited to to actually watch a rugby game on the rugby re- retrospective because I don't know what Wales Canada was. That wasn't fucking rugby. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean that was like looking back on it. The whole eighty seven series feels like a fever dream. It doesn't feel like a real thing that happens. The amount of, like, I've done it before where I've just scrolled down, like, Spotify and other podcast providers are available. I just, like, scrolled down one of those and just looked at loads of those games. I don't remember that game, that fixture being a thing. And yet we spoke about it for, like, two hours. I had a thought when I was watching this game, Samoa Tonga, from the 2007 Rugby World Cup, where I was thinking, like, oh, this podcast is actually about rugby now. Because it felt like some weird, like, niche sort of vaguely rugby adjacent thing but it didn't feel like we were talking about rugby at all it felt like we found some other weird spin-off sport I, I kind of feel that watching rugby now though because every week we do rock and roll and I say mm. this was a weird game this this was a strange game. <laughs> and I feel like like I keep talking about it, like Rob Howley unleashed rugby chaos on the world and it's never recovered like Pandora's box <laughs> has been opened by Rob Howley now and rugby chaos reigns and I'm here for it that flight to Canada, he was just sprinkling bits out the window. It was landing and the drops are growing into massive forests of rugby chaos the world over. 
I do think you have a point though, Graf, because I reached a point towards the end of the, the men's Six Nations where I realised after either every Wales game or after every like big like Titan encounter, I would end up texting Robbie saying, "Strange game that, wasn't it?" Yeah. And there was one point oh, where I realised I need to stop we doing that. Yeah, yeah, we were in the same room. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> next to each other. You stop it. It all changed with the COVID Cup, which was the most boring thing to ever happen in rugby. Yeah. And, and like even the Rainbow Cup was a little bit exciting because Benetton won. And that's when the weird then really kicked in. And Jonah Holmes was class. Yeah, Jonah Holmes was suddenly like the best player in the Northern Hemisphere. And like, <laughs> rugby's just changed now. That's just what it is. And I just, it's just this bizarre, there's so much more chaos let in, but not as often in, a, I don't know, it's not always in a fun way. Sometimes you're just like, oh, that was odd. But everything that I expect to happen ultimately happens. I am down with immortalising the Rainbow Cup, though, and just permanently turning Ignacio Brex into Mananu. I think that should happen. Uh, Yeah, all cups should be Rainbow Cups, and they should have actual rainbows. Yeah, because it it didn't. Like Tommy Tippies or something. (laughs) (laughs) There was no rainbow on the Rainbow Cup. Was there a cup for the Rainbow Cup? Yeah. Did they bother? Yeah, yeah they, they just sort of had like a, a mug that they gave to Paolo Garpizzi. <laughs> Maybe it was one of those heat-changing ones, and if you made a cup of tea in it, the rainbow would appear. That's got to be it. <laughs> they were expecting it to be won by a country where the conditions were far colder, so they'd have to warm it up. But they won it in Italy, and they're like, ah, oh, shit, what are we going to do is... now? Such a good idea for like genuine sporting silverware. I think the Rugby World Cup should should do that. Should have like heat changing uh, software that's built into it. What they would have done if they hadn't just gone to a random trophy shop and bought a trophy yeah, two weeks notice? Really true. crap. Most rugby trophies are really crap though. Except in yeah. France, they just will just make it bigger. <laughs> and the the infamous you must see the infamous Bledisloe trophy. Where they made it far too big one year. Oh no, it was the first Tri Nations where they made it far too big. They ordered it in inches instead of centimeters, and that's a genuine thing that happened. And it arrived, and it was the size of the players. And they like, there's one photo of Sean Fitzpatrick really struggling to lift it. <laughs> Sean Fitzpatrick sat in a forklift. <laughs> if you put your hand on it or like one finger on it, it counts as lifting the trophy. All right, we'll do the rest of it. But this crane that we've got in the stadium. There's sort of two trophies in rugby, which are like, like 90% of them are cylinders, you know? And then there's like traditional big cups with massive handles that are massive. And that's all of the trophies. It's all just like cylinders with like a thing on it somewhere or a bloody massive thing with bigger handles. It's all, it's all trophies apart from the world cup, which is probably why it's distinctive. Why I was like, Oh, it's the, it's the iconic trophy that we'll put on the cover of video games because <laughs> it's just, it's a trophy. I don't think we've mentioned this on the podcast before, but because Jamie Wall, of course, told us about the, the world cup trophy being just bought in a random shop in London. Mm. So Robbie and I went and met up with Jamie when he was in London mm. for the awesome internationals last year. And it was great. We had a really nice day. We wandered around the random sites of London, but the reason why we chose there instead of Cardiff initially was so we could go to that trophy shop and just <laughs> see the really? sites and see if there was a world cup there. That's what we wanted to find out. And I think it is because Jamie knew where it was and like, searched on google maps and stuff we didn't get to go in the end because we were too busy like going to the pub and hyde park and other great london attractions but Watch, we will take it off the usa or draw up the usa in qualifying yes. yeah i got it up on the ipad no one else in the pub cared. it was great <laughs> during the football world cup 
everyone was watching that on the TVs instead. You're like, no, but this is this is momentous. This is really important. Yeah. It's bloody Portugal. They haven't qualified since 2007, the Rugby World Cup that we are here to discuss. Uh, that does not surprise me that you did that, though, because you're the one that kind of converted me onto. I was watching Chile versus Brazil at three o'clock in the morning on my phone <laughs> on the South American app. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. To me. <laughs> <laughs> you're very welcome. Uh, that Brazilian scrum half is still one of my favourite players ever. Yes, whose name has just momentarily I, forgot. I can't name. remember his name But either. I know his name. He plays sevens Matthias, as well. Matthias, some... yeah. no. Um... He's got strong Prince vibes. Yeah. The scrum half formerly known as Prince. Sort of Borati moustache. It's wonderful. Yes. He's he great. great. I loved him. Douglas <laughs> Ralph. Yes. Douglas Rauf. Douglas Rauf. That's the one. Douglas Rauf. What a player. Incredible Man. guy. One of the all-time greats. Genuinely, yeah. look him up if you haven't seen him. He is a remarkable Borati figure. Friend of the pod, Matt McKnight, drew him, drew like a, a drawing of him. He now uses his profile picture everywhere. Yes. <laughs> this is how you market tier two rugby. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm all and for it. I think we had a masterclass on how not to do that in this game. Oh, but, God. you know, yeah, whole other thing this was this Samoa v Tonga is a game that is weirdly very well remembered I think it's a game that gets talked about quite a lot for what ultimately proved to be I think quite an uneventful game yeah Yeah. while we're here I would just like to apologize because when I booked Grav for this podcast I said this game is known to be a bit of a banger assuming that because it was well known that meant that the game itself was like really good and eventful grav i'm sorry you went through <laughs> thinking something's going to happen this is going to this is going to get really exciting in a moment didn't really happen no it's not the most exciting of games but it's still quite eventful in some ways yeah yeah and it's very of the time mm. <laughs> yes i've I talked to we got our horror podcast like i recently watched back like Play Witch and Saw, mm. and they was like going back and watching these again. Like this, this was like took me back to the time. Did you know that there's actually a website promoting the idea that Samoa was a real country when this game happened? <laughs> a lot, a lot like Blair Witch. You know, they really tried to push it. They really tried to push that this was actually real Samoa. Yeah, Samoa Two Book of Shadows was terrible. Wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Never quite lived up to it. You know that that reboot when they got the bloody uh, your next guy. Not as good. Not as good. They rebooted it and made Tonga. (laughs) Grav, I would love to know. So the 2007... They made American Samoa. It should have been... Oh, man. The reboot's, of course, American (laughs) Samoa. American Samoa, of course it is. Oh, that works on several levels. It's the Hollywood version. It's American Samoa. Sorry, Will, you were asking a question. That was so rude, you being funny by interrupting (laughs) It wasn't funny. It was like... Sometimes when you make a joke and you're like, oh, that's... It's not funny, but it's clever. That's even and it rude. wasn't even it wasn't even clever. It was just like there was it's... a spark there that if if you hadn't heard someone put two dots together before, you could go, oh, that you've put two dots together, and I've never seen that before, so therefore that's good. That's what that joke was. If you if you're going to be rude, at least be funny. God, I, I was very really desperate to know the answer to that question, and now I'm really sad that you, you should, interrupted you me. You should ask the question, then I think. Then I will. I will ask the question. I think you've missed the opportunity, and we just move on and never I don't find think out what that... the question was. Okay, never mind. Good episode. Well done. <laughs> 
No, let, I was going to say, question. Grav, the Rugby World Cup of 2007, Robbie, if you dare interrupt, you motherfucker. Um, <laughs> if, uh, the Rugby World Cup well, This is the thing that I wanted to know, is what did you make? Do you remember the World Cup well? Do you remember the World well, Cup well? Do you remember watching it? But this, up, is, this is where I'm going to show my age now, because I was 21 for this World Cup. Mm. So Maybe I remember you're... some games quite well. Other games, not so much. So I tried to do a little bit of a delve into what was happening like around the time. Not much. Bit really. of Gareth. It was Katie Melua's 23rd birthday. Um, <laughs> oh, and I also found out, which has blown my mind, that Alexis Bledel, who plays Rory Gilmore, is exactly two years older than John Afoa. And for some reason, <laughs> that does not seem right to me. <laughs> it so was also... celebrating their birthdays on this day. And Samoa captain, Samo Zetedi. Oh, oh Samoa, I missed well. that. It was his birthday, yeah. For some reason, he doesn't come up with Alexis Bedell. Like, they're not, for some reason, considered in the same category. And they I were think, at the same birthday party, though. I think that's very much just Hollywood ageism. But yeah, it was his, his birthday, and as a present, he got to lose a World Cup game. Um, <laughs> apparently, he had big plans to go out and have a bunch of drinks after this game, and the Samoa management were like, fine, we'll, 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 we'll let it off. We'll let it slide once. And then he did not do it, because he was sad. <laughs> Well, I, maybe they should have clamped on doing that and going to KFC because they, they did that for two World Cups on the bounce, didn't they? Where they just turned up at chicken shops and ate as much as they could. <laughs> yeah. So, oh, I'm glad you I'm glad you brought that up. Both Samoa and Tonga's management had to independently ban either team from going to KFC because they were going <laughs> too often. Well, have you seen the, the Pacific Warriors documentary? They talk about it on there where they brought yep. in a nutritionalist for 2011 on the back of this. And they were like, you, they set up like tables of food and they were like, anything that's on this table, you can eat. And it doesn't matter how much of it you eat, it's, it's, it can be gone. And then they were all putting weight on. And so they were putting less on the tables and the players were still putting weight on. And this nutritionist like, I can't. And then after the training sessions, they were going to KFC and having a bucket each. <laughs> Could you imagine if they did that in the era of T- Ben Tamafuna playing for Tonga? <laughs> <laughs> he would have inhaled one table on his own like Kirby. I was going to say, to be fair, it might have actually worked out. It might have worked out because he will have inhaled all of the food and everybody else would be putting on a normal amount of weight. Mm. And he wouldn't have been out eating the whole of the south coast of Japan instead as he did. I assume that's why Henry Tuolagi didn't play in this game as well. Because he was still (laughs) catching his breath from having played a week before. Because every, every time he moved, he seemed to instantly be exhausted afterwards. And I still don't think I could tackle. Like, that's my only tactic I've ever been able to tackle Henry Tulagi as well. It's like the same as Homer Simpson's boxing tactics. Of just, like, leave him run at me for 79 minutes and then all I get to, like, hang on to a lace in the 80th. And that'll be my one tackle I've completed. It works. If it works. <laughs> so, so, I have nothing else. So, uh, about a week before this game, or a few days before, in the week of this game, the Tongan team decided to go out for lunch together to a local pub. And at said pub, they had to end up booking out pretty much, you know, the whole space in the end in order to get the whole team in. But it didn't stop there, right? The Tongan team between them in one lunch ate 60 pounds of pasta, 40 litres of orange juice, a further 60 pounds of potato salad, 60 pounds of roast lamb, 60 pounds of, of beef fillet, 30 chickens. They ate. The pub had to bring in 
two extra chefs and four extra waiters at short notice in order to cater for them. They had to call all the staff that wasn't in. They had to bring them in. No time to train new staff. Just like, yeah, just feed these guys. Just keep them happy. (laughs) And to be fair, those waiters carried further than anyone in this game. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Yeah, so they said they had they had to get 15 members of staff. It Normally, they'd have 12 <laughs> members of staff to cover for 50 people. It was like the, the whole pub. They needed 18 people to cater to the 30 Tongan National Squad members. <laughs> they ran them out of food. They used literally all the food they had that day, and they had people going out to collect more. The squad spent about £1,000 all in all, or it would have cost about £1,000 all in all, except pounds. for... It's absurd, £1,000. Except for the fact that the pub was co-owned by a former Tonga International who went it's all that. on the house. <laughs> wow. That's wow. so incredible. It's a genuinely extraordinary thing. Um, that pub has already done more for the finances of Pacific Rugby than like any of the Sansar Nations asked. <laughs> <laughs> they gave that, that gate split that they're always asking for. <laughs> for anyone that came in to just try and watch them. Watch them devour an entire sheep in one I mean, bite. That's, that's what they should do. I would watch that. Yeah. It's like the T-Rex eating the goat in Jurassic Park. It's, I mean, it was part of an extraordinary thing. But again, if you watch that Pacific Warriors documentary back, which I watched a chunk of it back today for this, the Tongans talk about just how well they were taken in the week before this game because they'd gone to stay in a very small village instead of in you know, the kind of big towns and so on. And this village had really, they had an interview with a guy from that village who was like, well, we, we, was he really wanted to get uh, one of the teams in? Uh, and like the interview, a random kid who they ask him, you know, what's your name? And he's like, hi, my name is David or whatever. And I support Montpellier and Tonga. <laughs> and, <laughs> and he's about like eight and I wonder where he is now. And basically, like, they took them in and there was signs. They had, like, signs and posters and everything up around the town that said, like, Alela Tonga. They had Tongan flags all over the village. And everyone really, really bought into it. And there was talk from that one guy they interviewed of just, like, people would stop them in the street and they'd all just have little chats with all the Tongan internationals and were saying, like, they are big stars, but they are not here. They are just people. They're definitely still big. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Then it cuts to Jed Fee and saying, like, yeah, that's just this just sounds like the Tongans. Like the, they don't view themselves <laughs> as stars at all. It's completely unsurprising. There's also the other thing they mentioned though around that is that because they had so many of the kind of friends and family come out and stay, most of them didn't book accommodation, especially because they couldn't, because it was in quite a small town with only one hotel. And so a lot of them just stayed with the team. And apparently about half of the team, the night before this game, slept on the floor of the hotel room so their family could use the bed. What? <laughs> so, the, the, as in, like, literally the night before? So yeah, like they, the night before the game. They, they, they had friends and family on... come and stay who used the bed and they slept on the floor. And there was a photo of one player and you can't make out who it is from, you know, a photo of them in the dark sleeping. They slept on the floor, <laughs> then woke up and went, right, okay, let's go play international rugby yeah, in the Rugby let, World Cup. Let's go and play our closest rivals in yeah. a huge game that people will talk about in 15 That's years' time mad. on the podcast. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, that is what they said actually. Yeah, when they when they set off, it's like, oh, I can't wait for people to talk about this on a podcast at some point soon. And that is famously how everybody is now going to approach Rugby World Cup games. Is they're going to say like, oh, we need to play well today because they'll bring it up on the podcast later on. You know. <laughs> But yeah, bizarre leading for Tonga. Yeah. It sounds lovely. And they yeah. said they really bought into it and they've made a lot of fans there. And people have apparently followed them since and loved them since. Oh, brilliant. But yeah, Which I think... Which answers the question they pause before kickoff when the comment There's Irish, Scottish, English, American, and of course French people here. Who will they support? <laughs> and I, I don't know why... You've, and no Welsh people, apparently. We didn't get a look in. No, but, no, no, uh, no. We couldn't get tickets. <laughs> <laughs> Other than uh, Sione Tuapalotu, who is um, mm. claimed as Welsh on behalf of this, because he was for, he played for like Ebervale or someone. Ebervale at the time, I think. Yeah, and it, like obviously, it is his own daughter, and then his his nephew would have been Welsh born as well. So I think you've got to you've got to claim that you've got to claim yeah. nationality then. Yeah, absolutely. His daughter, of course, being Cecilia Tuapalotu, yeah. who last weekend, as this goes out, got player of match in the first round of the Six Nations and is an absolute unit. Incredible. Yeah. Just loves to murder people. <laughs> just just loves to, <laughs> loves to murder on the pitch. Seems like the loveliest person in the world, but loves to murder. If you watched that game, that Wales-Ireland game, from the first round of the Six Nations, 2023, right, and said one of these players' dad played in this Samoa Tonga game, you've got to guess which one it is, I think it'd be pretty straightforward. Eleanor Snowsell. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Snowy's dad was bloody, like, Salela Mapasilla or something. I think Snowy won her first cat for Wales this year as well. So <laughs> no, yeah, she probably did. You, you joke about that, but Carol Thomas actually got her first cap a year before this. Yeah, in two thousand six. So it's it's bonkers. Yeah, and then we've still got players up, not in this game, but Brian Lima stuff. I think Brian Lima didn't play in this game because um, there was an issue with the IRB when they found out he's been sponsored by Visit Peru. For his own career, and his, his real surname's actually Jones. I obviously have completely made that up. <laughs> <laughs> Robbie, you did look at me like that was a genuine thing you just found out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I had a moment of going, hold on, hold on. I should have kept that going longer. Sponsored by Visit Peru. It was just because his name's Lima. That was it. <laughs> no, it's very good. It's very good. The old name changing thing to Party Power, which was like such a big thing. Like, I don't mm. know if you realize because. Like you are a bit younger than me because I'm old, but like it was like a, a genuine thing that went on at the time because Jimmy White changed his name to James Brown. I know this one sounds made up, but this is true. Jimmy White changed his name to James Brown for the season. Just seeing what he can get away with now. Because <laughs> he's done the Visit Peru thing. To, <laughs> to advertise HP sauce, which sounds made up, but I swear. And then Julia Carlin changed her name to Julia Reinekin for the yeah, <laughs> European Cup. Why didn't Will Carling do that? Sell out? I, I think because he'll not sell like, out. I, I've fallen for Mr. Blobby. I'm not falling for this one. Like, <laughs> but yeah, so like it, it was like a thing. Like people did this. So yeah. the fact that there was a, a Tongan called Paddy Power, I don't think was like everyone was kind of like, oh, this again. Which the commentators weren't allowed to call him. Call him <laughs> despite he gets bins and scores a try in this game and yet they can't call him by his legal name at the time <laughs> it's so typically rugby it is it is it's very rugby union you say all of that about like they don't call him by his legal name the commentator on this game so it's 
Paul oh. Dickerson, who is the guy that we spoke about before on the England-USA game, was it? Yeah. Who was just shit, right? I have no interest in being that guy, but he was just being a bellend all game, right? And it was very <laughs> much the same story here. Because, you, as I said, you say that he didn't call... Tyone by his real name. Mm. He didn't really call any of the players. By oh, their I was going to say, yeah. So oh, we do the yeah. should we do the team sheets, right? Yeah. Okay. So I've got I've actually got Paul Dickerson, the commentator's team sheet in front of me. I've actually got a copy. You mean of the it. commentator? Yes. Uh, no, Paul no, no. I've, I've got a copy of his team sheet. Um, team I actually sheet, took yeah. a lot of research, but like he he actually posted it on MySpace as it was at the time because <laughs> Twitter was not invented until the following year. So <laughs> that was why he posted it on MySpace. Yes. <laughs> he was like, I want to post it on the social networking website and Twitter doesn't exist yet. <laughs> That's what he said. You're Good, followed so... by Paul Dickerson and Tom from MySpace. <laughs> He's still on there. He's still hanging around telling stories about his bloody son playing minis rugby on what as what positions are going on attacks. So, yeah, so Samoa team first. So at fullback, they had the fullback. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the centres, they had the centre partnering the centre. Yeah. Uh, they no, had Partnering one of the centres. One of the centres. One of the centres. Yeah. yeah, we had... This is, like, a really strong second-row combination of the second row and the lock. Then you had the front-row forwards as the front-row forwards, who all shared a name for some reason. Mm. And interestingly, at nine, who interestingly, returned though, to the team. They brought in the captain as well. Um, yes. Uh, and I think he, he had a huge, huge presence there. Yes. The one other note, yeah, the Tonga team was largely the same, actually. It had a lot of shared surnames, clearly, between the two <laughs> yeah. island nations of centre and centre together in the centres and winger on the wing, uh, nine at... Fl- no, sorry, scrum off at nine. The only other thing that does stand out is the referee Mr Kaplan who was Mr Kaplan the whole way he was rarely the referee he was rarely Jonathan Kaplan he was rarely Kaplan he was Mr Kaplan rarely referred to as now Nazi man Jonathan Kaplan as well <laughs> so I've, it, I, I forgot that Jonathan Kaplan was a thing until I watched this it's kind of yeah sorry I brought it a bit Peter Key Jonathan <laughs> Kaplan but no I like, remember Jonathan one of his Kaplan. best routines <laughs> Garlic bread and Jonathan it was Kaplan. Garlic bread, pogs, and Jonathan Kaplan. <laughs> <laughs> the three core tenets of nostalgia. <laughs> three things that are all now racist if you look them up. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's true. You didn't know it, but garlic bread is now racist. <laughs> <laughs> if this was rock and roll, that would be the episode title. It would be. <laughs> Absolutely would be, and then I would get excited and blurt that out mid-recording and just go, that's the episode title. <laughs> <laughs> like that Alan Davis thing that used to be on Dave. Mm, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so the, the thing with the commentary, right, it was so infuriating because I got, I mean, we'll talk genuinely about like the, the, the game and set the scene right in a minute, but... I was so in the spirit of this because mm. of the whole thing with the war dancers and so on, which we'll get into, like the first seven of minutes or so of the game was so genuinely intense and really like, oh, this is a big like local derby. We don't get these in the World Cup. We don't get these on the podcast. It just, it felt like a Christmas derby. It was kind of, I was just, I was really into the spirit of it. And then it reached a point where this man just made it like unwatchable. And I texted both of you talking about how much I hated this guy and stopped watching for 24 hours because I was that annoyed by it. <laughs> to cut to the chase on this, there's a point early on where 
Elvis Sevillier almost sets up this non-try for Mapasua, which is disallowed, right? And as it happens, he's there saying like, oh, so I guess that's uh, one of the centres. Um, as you can just see the number 12 on someone's back. It's like, no, that's Salela Mapasua. He was like one of the best 12s in the world for a decade. And then like, he talks about him a little bit. And then later on realises, oh, wait, I don't remember what this guy's name was from when I said it earlier in this game. And then called him Mapuasa. And it's like, no, like... Mapusu, he gets at the end as well. God, it's so annoying. And there's another point where, like, Samoa are about to score, or look about to score. They made a line break. And instead, he's talking about England. He's talking about Andy Farrell not playing very well against South Africa. Shut oh, up! He stops during a Tongan attack to talk about how he hopes Ollie Barkley's almost back from injury. <laughs> He's yeah, still, he's next level for Inverdale for like let's talk about England. Yeah. I need to wait until a game finished. Well, he says, "I'm really mid-game, like during an attack." He says, "I can't wait for the post-match interviews. I want to hear both coaches get asked about the England game." <laughs> and he kept bringing that up. Do you think Samoa's been distracted by the England game? No, no, not everyone just thinks in England. Like people. The interesting one on the Andy Farrell thing was that even 16 years ago, people were still talking about whether Farrell should play centre for England. (laughs) (laughs) And in 16 years' time, we'll be having that same conversation about Owen Farrell's son, but it'll be for Ireland because Andy will have tapped him up. It's not going to change. He's already said the Sexton will still be playing. (laughs) Sexton's never retiring. I've got to keep that joke going forever. (laughs) And if you thought I was dead inside now, you imagine me aged 50 doing that. <laughs> Jonathan Sexton, 80, using a Zimmer frame to distribute the ball. Thank well, God you haven't stuck to that bit on the podcast, by the way. God, well, I comes up with, with just random names for Sexton. I was just thinking that. Just like, <laughs> there's only so many words. There's a lot of <laughs> viewers of the channel who will have heard you... the 2011 series and gone, wait, why has he said Jonathan Sexton? That's so weird. And like, will have thought, oh, that sounds so weird. I don't like it. And you know people will leave comments as well saying like, oh, oh they do. You used that one on the 17th of February 2021. <laughs> and I, was, I think oh. in the last five years, I've slipped up and missed it once. And I was therefore I'm able to claim that as a variation. <laughs> <laughs> Calling him by that name. The other thing with our commentary you said about the try, mm, he also mm. says really good defence by Tonga. And three players fail to make the tackle. And I'll be honest, I can't see any reason they didn't award that try other than like the wording around TMOs at that time. Because mm. be, there was no doubt that a try was scored. It was kind of like like a judge, like a jury. Like if there was any any doubt, then you had to, to let them off. But he got a really good defence by Tonga. And you're like, it was three of them on one wing or one center <laughs> to bring him down. I'm, I don't think it was. And it was really interesting with the TMO. The commentators just didn't know how to deal with the dead air while they waited for a decision to be made. It was yes. so, so they there just was... talked shit instead of saying nothing. That great one where there was a yellow card given and there was huge flashbacks to the uh, Chris Kamara. Oh, I don't know, Jeff. Oh, I know. <laughs> As a <they>, Jeff. <laughs> That's the exact note I've got down about that, Chris yeah, Kamara. <laughs> same here. It's just like, oh, there's been a yellow card, I think. But I wonder who it is, whilst the player is literally walking off in front of them. And they're literally yeah. seeing him walk off. And they have his face there in front of them. And she's like, I have no idea who that is, Jeff. But then they throw it <laughs> to the pitch side reporter. And they say, who was the yellow card for? And he goes, I've got no idea. But he's about to walk past me. <laughs> 
walks up to him and he's like, I don't know who it is, but we'll find out soon. And the commentator's mid-sentence later and he goes, oh, it was um, Ipitayoni being sent off. But then there was another yellow card late in the game. Mm. I don't know if it's been a yellow card or a red card, so someone managed to miss that one as well. (laughs) Two yellow cards and they don't know what's happening for either of them. I was like a big fan of how, like, because there's a yellow card for a high tackle in this game towards the end. And how different it is to nowadays, we'd see that tackle about 30 times. Then we'd come down to bloody Yako Piper and he'd call in two assistants and he'd have a little chat where they'd run through the procedure and he'd talk us through his whole thought process. And then he'd give it and then we'd see the tackle four more times. And then there'd be like a discussion that'll go on for another two weeks on Twitter. And then, you know, some more rugby will happen in the middle, but, you know, no one, everyone will forget about that. And we'll just talk about the bloody Yako Piper's thought process. Instead here, they just put the tackle up. It happened. We saw a replay once from a terrible angle. You can't really see what happens. The commentator goes, I think that's a bit harsh. And we moved on, you know, I think the idea was a sweet spot somewhere between the two, like, but you know, it was refreshing. (laughs) I'd say like Razi Erasmus Vimeo account would have taken a battering from this game. (laughs) <laughs> when this was recorded like, that would have been flooded with incidents this, this unbelievable oh i mean there's a the amount i mean this suppose we'll get onto it but yeah the amount of stuff that they go eh, okay we'll just give that warning <laughs> yes yes we will get onto that uh, by the way you mentioned it a minute ago robbie but just like can we just have a quick word for jonathan the random pitch side work experience idiot that just plonked on the sideline. <laughs> Nobody knows who he is or what his job is. But occasionally they just go, Jonathan, can you tell us what's happening in this game? And he'll go, uh, a load of big men are there. And I must say they're looking really enthusiastic. And we're in France. It's like, thanks, Jonathan. We'll come back to you in 2.1 minutes. He's got a double barrel surname. So, you know, he's probably someone's nephew, isn't he? <laughs> I couldn't figure out what Jonathan was. We've not had him at all. But that's the time. thing. Like they throw to him for like expert commentary, <laughs> in the way they'll like for like Jean de Villiers on the sideline or something when there's an interception, and he'll be like, "Oh yes, this is the thought process in their brain." Or but instead, he made small but talk. It's just yeah, it's just like <laughs> some guy who's just going like, "Oh, the chips are pretty good in this stadium." <laughs> Also, you mentioned as well, one I completely forgot to say, at one point he calls Pierre Hola this guy. Yes! <laughs> it's Taufa to this guy. <laughs> uh, my, I mean, it, the whole way, it's like he's commentating on a video game that doesn't have any licenses. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's just having to say, the centre... To the fly half <laughs> scores. <laughs> At one point, he says the center loses it, so we will come back for. And then he pauses and says, "A set piece." <laughs> it's quite therapeutic that we're laughing at this now because I found it so unwatchable at the time. Like the sheer disrespect to just tier two rugby and just like him not bothering to learn Pacific Islanders' names. Mm. But I'm glad we're making light of this. I think my favourite quote from him in the entire game is Tonga are in a good attacking position at one point in the first half. They have a five-metre scrum, they get turned over, they lose it. And he says, it was a classic position for Tonga. (laughs) (laughs) Which means nothing. Absolutely. But a lot of what he says means nothing. Yeah. There's very little dead air in this game. That's true. 
but nothing gets said. <laughs> well, that's the only way I can describe it. The thing is, though, we had this before when he did the England game. It's often like he's trying to like show off that he knows what a drop goal and a penalty are and a conversion. And it's just like, come on, you're the expert here. He's just got massive man in pub who has watched two games in the Premiership this season and wants to let his mates know. <laughs> it's very clear that it's like his third or fourth sport. Yeah. Yeah, like when they send commentators to the Olympics. Ooh, like, yeah, yeah. Like you've got Peter Alice suddenly doing weightlifting. Yeah, Eddie Butler doing Butler, archery. Yeah. And he's talking about the clean and the jerk, but it's more for him than for anyone watching at home. So they should be able to fancy properly. So much of the clean and the jerk is for you. But you've had, you had Jim Rosenthal <laughs> presenting and it's at like one of the episodes. And then you've yeah, yeah. that Tom Rosenthal's his, his son. Like him from him from Friday night dinners. I thought that might have come up. Wait, that's wait, wait. So, because th- there is a Tom Rosenthal who is very relevant to this podcast, and the guy who used to do our theme tunes. Oh yeah, um, that's, it's his dad. <laughs> <laughs> but, so, no, so the what the, the the Tom Rosenthal from Friday night dinner is actually Jim Rosenthal's son, genuinely. Yes. Yeah, uh, actually. Wow, <laughs> I didn't know that. That that yeah, I wonder why that didn't come up. <laughs> Now you do, because <laughs> I did not know that was real. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I that, wouldn't have put that together. That's so strange. Oh, so, it yeah. seems like such opposing like personalities. Yeah, that's a bizarre direction of nepotism. <laughs> that's like, it's spun in a very random direction there. I was waiting for someone, to, I thought, oh, these, these, one of these will know this. Like being, but no. no. No, I didn't. Yeah, I had no I, idea. I'm a bit older, so Jim Rosenthal was like a thing. Like he was, mm. he was kind of like ITV's Des Lynham when I was a kid. <laughs> oh, I never reference people my age. <laughs> No, not something. Again, my awareness of, as I said in the episode, of Jim Rosenthal is the Half and Half Biscuits song about him, which is my reference of most things from the eighties. <laughs> like I know so much about Argos adverts from you know the mid nineties. <laughs> Just because Nigel Blackwell was unemployed then, I watched a lot of daytime TV <laughs> and wrote what he knew. So the, I mean, so it's both teams head in with buddy fifteen players, which is a good start, I think. No, so Samoa name almost exactly the same team. It's the same starting fifteen, but a different bench that they named when they beat Tonga fifty-three-three in Samoa earlier that year. Wow! So very significant lead in. They had won nine games against Tonga in a row leading into this so they're very much going in as the heavy favorites i think and they very much arrive as such they very much arrive as well tonga the are the heavier team but yes they're the well favorite. yes <laughs> but yes yeah, samoa arrive very much favored very much excited and very much viewing this as their chance to on one level qualify for the following world cup finish third in the pool but also beyond that to push for qualification itself sure and as you say, like it is a good team that they put out generally. Mm. Like, you know, you look at the back line and you see like the two Alangis and Tani Thackenbaus, one of the centres and the other centre, no, uh, Mapasua and Sevier Lee, Joe Corey, Dan Leo in the pack, Census Johnston, Moshe Walker. There's a lot of names that really stand out there. But the thing that stands out to me most is what the fuck is a Lockie Crichton? Yes, it's a very good question. He's part of a very there's a really long list of players whose career are defined by a short stint to cover for johnny wilkinson being injured 
Okay, okay. You know, there's a lot... Like, Tom May basically made a career out of it. Like, he just followed wherever Johnny Wilkinson went and filled in for him when he got injured. Like, he did really well medical himself. joker, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> just this little guy who followed him around. Like, if you referred to... If you're a commentator and you referred to Tom May as that guy, you'd be correct. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's a more accurate description of him than his name. The first time a fly-off's ever had a PA. <laughs> yeah. But Lockie Crichton had, he'd been playing for the Chiefs in Super Rugby. He'd played 46 games in six years, which is a return, right? You know, he'd played every so often and infamously played for the same team as Jonah Lomu at one point. And that is all over any facts you find about him. (laughs) He once played with Jonah Lomu. But yeah, after the Chiefs, he then signed for Newcastle to cover for Johnny Wilkinson while he was injured. And Toby Flood got called up by England, who was also there at the time. So they're like, oh, no, we need someone. Let's sign Lockie Crichton. (laughs) So in he comes. He goes, "Okay, my all black dream is dead now that I'm playing for Newcastle, uh, which is a thought many players have had. And especially like local boys, local (laughs) English players. And so he went, might as well play for Samoa then. Declared for Samoa that year, won 10 caps over two years. After this World Cup, went to Worcester, where he played for a few years, then went to Japan and floated around there for a while. I'm so glad I asked. <laughs> yes, there's a comprehensive history of him. See, but it, the name is straight out of like a sci-fi program. And they're like, oh, yeah, he, it's an, an homage to Michael Crichton, but he's actually like, he, like a, like a yeah, yeah, yeah. Star Trek. <laughs> and with it not it being Lockie spelt like Loki, like the god. Mm. <laughs> It does sound like a character actor who was in lot of, lots of B-movies in the 70s. <laughs> Lockie Crichton. In the B-movie? Um, yes, yes, yes. I do like jazz. People refer to him as the great Lockie Crichton. And he'd be like, was he really? Or was he just in a lot of movies about like people that turn into wasps? <laughs> and it's it's very similar. Like, was, oh, Also, good B-movie, the one where people turn into wasps. Yes, um, thank you. Uh, like Elliot Day. They went under, it was, yeah, it was tragically. Um, but... He actually, uh, no, he actually was a wasp that turned into a Saracen. As opposed to Dan Leo, who at this point was a wasp and then turned into a prick. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, like, was Lucky Crichton great or do you just play with Joan Lomu? There we go, it's the same principle. Yeah. <laughs> but yes, Dan Leo, very strange trajectory on that man. I mean, you, you say you watched Pacific Warriors. Is he not, like, the lead actor in it? I mean, he's in it. They do interview him. Right. But the bit uh, I watched was... was all about Tom. Oceans Apart is Dan Leo's big one. Mm. That's it. That's the one that Dan Leo does. But this one ages it because they said that London Wasps playing out of High Wycombe. And I was like, that feels quite hard to you. You're you're two bases behind. Yeah. (laughs) No, actually, they've changed like three times this year, haven't they? They've been like, they were briefly Birmingham, like Mosley Wasps. And now they're going to be Worcester Wasps, supposedly. Yeah, well, they they were playing out of Coventry, weren't they? And then they're all over the place. They just, look, wasps travel. They fly around. It's what they do. It's what they get up to. You know, you can't, you can't hold a wasp down. If you ever try, it's really difficult. They sting you. So the, the Tonga team's all right. <laughs> it's also quite fitting that they are going to come back this summer. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's what happened, actually. Premier Rugby just planned a picnic and suddenly wasps <laughs> were back in the league. <laughs> For more information about the future of Wasps Rugby Club, please watch B-Movie. Anyway. <laughs> And it's the only version of Wasp without James Haskell in it. So <laughs> very much promising. better then. Did you see he was on like the bloody, the right stuff last week with Anne Widdicombe? <laughs> they had 
James Haskell and Anne Whittaker as their guests. And they're asking them about, like, Brexit. And Did she like, do bants with him? Oh, no. No, they're asking, like, political questions to Anne Whittaker. And James Haskell was looking very awkward in the corner. Was he pulling that same face as when Italy didn't create any rucks or former... <laughs> <laughs> Very similar vibe. <laughs> I mean, what is a country? <laughs> so can I just pull people in? Does that make it a country? Like, oh no, it's the opposite Anne Whittacombe's arguing for. That is a very specific, uh, for people that know the words he said to the referee very closely. So the Tonga Ma- team... Matthew um, Wright saying, sorry, I'm just here to present, I'm not here to coach. Like, Matthew right now doesn't doesn't work. A different French referee. But Fungalilo's at fullback for Tonga. Love that guy. One of the slowest fullbacks to ever have a 15-year career. <laughs> Just a spectacular player. Anyone else in the Tongan? Ipi Tayoni, Paddy Power. I'm just reading names of the team she is. Yeah, they've got a guy called Aneni Talfau making his first cap at nine. I've oh, described yeah, yeah. that exactly the same way that uh, Paul Dickerson did on comms. Swali Tongawea and Kisipulu both playing his props. That's fun. Yes. Yeah, really strong front row resources here for Tonga. Yeah. You know, Tal Felice isn't making the 23 or 22 yeah. as it was at the time. Which is their loss, frankly. But I, It's the viewers' loss, really. Yes, that's true. Um, Handsome man. Yeah, the, two changes of the team. So the scrum off, as you mentioned. And we also have uh, Lasite Fao, so drops out. And in comes Inoki Afayeki, the second row, who just decides, you know what? I'm going to be violent today. And... <laughs> Good so do the other 29 of them, though. Yes. Can I offer a very quick update on Afeki, the second row? Go on. He's now the head coach of the Singapore national team. Ah. Mm. Is he still, though? Because I think he, I read that he's uh, contesting for election in the Wellington City Council. So I think... Oh, so he is. <laughs> he so was, he, he is. Was the Scarlets, wasn't he? This is the guy who was at the Scarlets. Oh, yeah. he was. Wow, yeah. Before my time. <laughs> Right in the middle of my time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 50 games of the Scarlets. 40 for Grenoble afterwards. And now look at him. Now look at him. Contesting election for Wellington City Council last year. Whilst coaching Singapore. He Fair wanted play. to be an all-black, but wasn't a New Zealand citizen, so couldn't get in. Wow. I'll wow. tell you what, like, in the in the Venn diagram, he is he is somehow falling into both Anne Whittacombe and James Haskell in his career paths. <laughs> Very nice. <laughs> it's a good thing, like... It's surprising how many things, though, these players have had, like, away from the pitch. Like, yeah, yeah. Every now and again, you stumble across something really weird. Like, the like the fight in the airport. Like, the, the, the anti-Aaron Smith. Like, because they're very different things at the airport. But, like, if this game had come up, I would never have known that. But now yeah. it's really interesting to me. So, Joseph Vacker having a, having a scrap in an airport has now become, like, one of my favourite things. Oh, yeah, yeah, yes, yes. Invite your fan at Heathrow. <laughs> yeah. Also, like, like the anti-Aaron Smith, Aaron Smith's doing the exact opposite thing in April. <laughs> yes. he's, having a, he's having a hell of a time for very different reasons. Yes, he's making but... love, not war. <laughs> 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 Which I, I think is great coming from you, Robin. You kind of this, embrace this John Lennon look. I think you... <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'm going for. Yeah. yeah. I'm hoping to get shot. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Please don't say that. Outside a hotel. In France later this year. The the thing is though, because obviously infamously Mark Chapman was planning on shooting David Bowie that night. So um, I think I might be safe. <laughs> it depends. <laughs> no one was planning on doing that me. this year. Yeah. 
before that, you've got to, you know, find find the woman that tears this podcast apart. Yes. And then... If there's somebody who's out for the egg chasers, maybe the day before. <laughs> I feel like they're quite different audiences. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. That's true. I, I, don't, I, like I don't know the... who else to target. We've, we've covered Haskell in terms of the other No, um, that's it. The, the, podcasts. The, 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 the thing is, right, they'll be trying to kill Grant. They'll <laughs> shoot me instead. <laughs> Just be, I'll kill any overbeard. I, I think, yeah, me me casting the Bowie character and you cast as the John Lennon character, I think we could fulfil those roles. Yeah. I'm up for giving it a go. I do have a, a ponchon for flamboyant outfits, so, you know, that's... <laughs> I'm casting Lee of Blood and Mud as Iggy Pop. <laughs> I'm sure he'll be flattered by that. <laughs> we just need to find Prince and we're golden. <laughs> Dibs. <laughs> Should we talk about War Dancers? Yes. Yes, 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 yes. yes. My favourite Prince album. Yes. <laughs> but this is the thing that this game is most famous for, right? Yes. Because Samoa and Tonga, of course are both teams with magnificent war dancers. So you've got the Tongan Sipi Tao and the Samoan Siva Tao. And them both lining up to do it at the same time, not quite, is a sight to see. Only time it's happened in a Rugby World Cup where the two of them have got to face each other and face off like this. And it was a huge occasion, something that gets shared on World Rugby social medias very often. You see this come up very often. And yeah, it was a... Really exciting point. But my favourite thing about this, right, is the kid with the ball. Yes! <laughs> the tiny ball boy stood really yeah. awkwardly looking away from a lucky Lutui. <laughs> stood straight in the middle between these two teams. This one child being subjected to both terrifying war dancers by these enormous teams <laughs> who've just put away an entire pub's worth of food. These enormous, terrifying humans. Because, like, both of these sets of men are fucking frightening, right? Mm. And no exception, Aleki Lutui, who's leading the Sippy Tao. And there's something really quite sad about the fact that after the Sippy Tao finishes and before the Siva Tao starts, the referee calls the kid over and John the captain calls the kid over and is like, no, you can come and stand with us. And like puts his arm around him like, don't worry, you're going to be okay. After he stood there really awkwardly in the middle of this Tongan war dance. I really felt for him. One of the Tongans, after they finish theirs as well, though, runs off and com- as if they completely forgot that some of were going to do theirs. <laughs> All the Tongans then start to line up and then he realises and has to like awkwardly walk back. <laughs> at the end of the line. It's great watching that and just going like, I cannot wait for the hits that are coming in the first five minutes of this because you know just how unhinged the start of that game's going to be. Mm. Just from like everybody giving each other the look of like, yeah, I'm going to kill you. And then like Alizana Tuolangi at the end giving somebody like the side eye as if to say like, just keep your eye out for me, mate. You know, like I'm not like, Alizana Tuolangi already. I love a war dance anyway. Yes. Mm. So, like two for I don't understand these people who complain like about the actor. Like what the fuck's wrong with you? Like, this is one of the, the greatest things that happened in rugby. And then I did have a because I said, you know, I'm going to try and play this game on Rugby 08, and then uh, I didn't get a chance. Uh, but I was like, no rugby games have the war dances in them. If you're going to license the teams, do a proper, proper hacker. That's what I want to see. Rugby Challenge 2, they added the hacker, but it's unskippable in, unless you <laughs> yeah, hit it before it goes on. Yeah, that's the that's the nightmare. So you just would never want to play against the All Blacks. <laughs> but imagine, like, if they did it properly, well, 
Mm. Then it would be like if FIFA now they've got like the fans walking into stadiums and play shit. Like imagine if they'd done a full like yeah. do with the hacker and turn the lights off and like the really immersive. That'd be brilliant. And then even better, the Welsh one plus when Evans could come out in a like t shirt that's still taking the flag. <laughs> I was going to say, they're going to show the All Blacks doing all the rugby values and like throwing their kit bags yeah, to each other in the hotel before the game. <laughs> yeah, before you unlock the next game, you've got to make sure the changing rooms are completely spotless. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Like, Win Evans as well. I love it. I love how important Gio Campario is in Welsh rugby moments. <laughs> Just like, <laughs> amazing stuff. But yeah, and then I thought actually what would probably be better for rugby games is if they were fucking playable. <laughs> I mean, it's an option, isn't it? It's, it's, it's one of the things they could attack with this bloody World Cup Rugby 24 game. Yeah, you know, they just, could go for that. Personally, I would much, much rather that they accurately portray the WOU behind-the-scenes drama in video game form. <laughs> I want, like, a Papers, Please-style mini-game where you have to sort the whole thing out. Press X to fire Steve Phillips. Like you, yeah, you start up like the Six Nations on the campaign mode, and halfway through, if you're playing as Wales, your players go on strike. (laughs) (laughs) You just can't. Turns out your entire board is sexist. What do you do? (laughs) If you select the female name, it just calls you names back at you the whole way. (laughs) It's just horribly insulting. Um, Oh, rugby's a mess. I do like. I, I don't want to go all like and PC brigade and everything. But I do think that the time that this match happens mm. makes for the better tension with the dances because before they brought in all the... There needs to be a certain amount of distance between the people. Yeah. Like, they, they probably move towards each other. They're quite close. Like they virtually set up on the halfway level. And, like, it makes it so much better and properly, like, passionate. You can feel it. Mm. Whereas now, I don't know if it would be as good. Mm. I... Luke who is in their faces could have great. got properly in their faces. Mm. I wish they could have gone either like literally sort of either side of the halfway line and done it rather than as you said, there's about ten meters between them, which is amazing. It, as you say, because now they'd be you know twice that at least. But I kind of wish they could have been one meter apart and doing it at the same time. Yeah, yeah, that's the dream. But, as I love Aleki Dutui like standing forward and like getting in the up in the Samoans' faces a little bit more. And like really taking it to him, really challenging them. I loved it. Lutui of all of them, all men to send forward for that is just the most commanding, terrifying, and bloody huge man you can possibly find. I loved it. And the combination of having Lekki Lutui to lead one and Mahori Shraga to lead the other, who are both all time greats of leading war dancers. Absolutely. I love Mahori I Right. I'm going to say Samoa, comfortable win for me of the two war dancers. Yeah. Interesting. I'll I'll give a vote for Tonga. I'll don't give, they're both good. A sympathy vote that I felt like feels worse than if you just said, yeah, Tong, Tonga weren't quite as good. <laughs> Still good, but they weren't quite as good. You're giving them a pity vote. That feels, <laughs> that feels somehow worse. Either way, incredible war dance off. Yeah, we're not more of this, please. Yeah, more dance this, off please. before every Rugby World Cup game. More yes. dance offs anyway. Like <laughs> I, there's Jason Nevins, there's American Pie the Wedding, and there's this. There's no other. There's not enough dance offs. <laughs> Step up to the streets. Step, step up to the street. How can we forget Step Up to the Streets and none of the other Step Up movies? Which are actually, actually, now I say it, they are mostly lacking in dance battles. It's mostly and, just dancing. And angry Tongans over six foot. Oh, no, there's actually quite a few of those in Step Up Five. Um, <laughs> the Flash Mob one. Was it like Step Up the Next Level, I think it's called? <laughs> um, there's, it's, it's pretty much exclusively 
angry Tongans, apart from the cameo from the one kid with curly hair from Step Up to the Streets, who comes back in all of them and pops up, and they're always like, "Whoa, it's the legend so and so, the nerdy kid who can actually break dance." It's Scott Robertson. <laughs> it's what great movies those are step up to the streets is the best one step up to the kicking tee i think (laughs) yes that's that's one of the the real standout moments in contemporary cinema i would say and it deserves more discussion than we would be possible to give it today i've Um, never heard of these films sorry never heard of step up to the streets i've not so it's okay. So there's the original step up, which, start, which was like chant, the film that launched Channel I should have kept my mouth right. shut, man. So it was a dance movie. Grubs just left the film. room. Oh, no. <laughs> I was putting the light on. I was putting the light on. You're fine. I'm, I'm fully in. I'm it, was not... a, it was a dance movie from about 2008, nine ish. It was the film that launched Shani Tatum's career, kind of made him a big star, kind of got him towards attention. There was then a sequel called Step Up to the Streets. Which very cleverly used the number two as a oh he's turned the light off and gone, which means there's no one to stop me. So very it cleverly was visual used the comedy two and podcast. As... I I forgot that this was like Channing Tatum's like original. So without this, Magic Mike might not have existed, which would be a travesty because Magic Mike is a masterpiece. Well, Magic the original Magic Mike is extremely good. Magic Mike 2 is a genuine masterpiece, one of the best films of the last 10 years. And I'm not being ironic. I genuinely mean that. It's amazing. And Magic Mike 3 is a film as well. So, um, it's not Samurai, it makes up for the, the poor quality. Absolutely. I enjoyed it. I had a good time. It's fine. It's good. It's just that it's hard to live up to Magic Mike XXL, which is a genuine masterwork. We've always said this is a film podcast, well, I don't know what you're looking like that for. <laughs> What's your favorite Magic Mike film? Shut up. Um, my <laughs> favorite Magic Mike film is Samoa versus Tonga from 2007. Magic um, Michael Jones. There we go. <laughs> oh, oh, Mike. Mike McDonald would have been a good one to go with. <laughs> XXL and that. It's actually um, who it was based on. Yeah, I thought so. Yeah. Anyway, game of rugby. Mm. That happens. Mm. Podcast done. <laughs> Well, you, you said about how wound up they would be after those two war dances. We get less than a minute in, there's a neck roll and a headshot. <laughs> Jonathan Kaplan obviously does absolutely nothing about either of those things. <laughs> just, so, ah, play on. Can we just establish, does anything legal happen at any point in this match? I mean, someone takes a shot at goal and I think that's about it. Yeah, yeah. but I'm pretty sure he does it with like his hand or his head or his dick or something. There's a, a nail on his shoe as he takes it. <laughs> yeah. This is, of course, 2007 when they first brought in the waist high tackle law, and all tackles are to be at least waist high. And no one was <laughs> It's, as you say, it's sort of, it doesn't. I mean, the commentators are very keen on making it, us know that he was expecting a try fest and it is disappointing. <laughs> but if you just wanted two big groups of big people hitting each other hard, it doesn't disappoint on that front. But the other thing is, why was he expecting a try fest? <laughs> Has he seen the two teams? No, we've established that. But yeah. what what did he think was going to happen? Jonathan Kaplan, referee before as well. Yeah, exactly. It's Samoa v Tonga, referee by Jonathan Kaplan. Yeah. Unstoppable force meets unstoppable force, refereed by an immovable object. Yeah, like... I mean, it, like, the only thing less likely than lots of tries in Samoa v Tonga, refereed by Jonathan Kaplan, is bloody acceptance for queer people. Like... <laughs> <laughs> it's an extraordinary expectation there's also though there's no ref mic for a lot of this game which probably helps yeah so we've got no idea if jonathan kaplan is being as racist as he's proven to be since he retired from refereeing 
Um, it, does, it does mean we're getting a lot of like guessing from Jonathan on the sideline about uh, what's yes. going on, what the referee might be saying, trying to lip read from 50 metres away because he well, has an excellent view or something. Maybe that Jonathan is actually Jonathan Kaplan's in a monologue. <laughs> They've taken him from the future. <laughs> what's going on, Jonathan? I can't remember this bit, but I think we might be about to see a shot at goal. I think it'll miss, though. <laughs> We do see that quite early on. Tonga, I think, are completely on top for the first few minutes. And ultimately, they get very good at bombing chances in this game, I think, in the first <laughs> half in particular. They get lots of practice of it, but they do get a 3-0 lead. Pierre Holler, and this is, I think, maybe the most Pierre Holler game ever played, <laughs> is sort of Pierre Holler, the 80-minute immersive experience. Tell you what, they love bringing up people's left-footed. <laughs> it's like you. It's like listening to you. <laughs> I don't think he's kicked off his right foot. No, that's because he's left-footed. Why yes! <laughs> We've not that... seen him kick off his right once yet. Yeah! <laughs> he's, left he's left-footed. The right one's just for standing on. Just like... <laughs> it's because he's probably tried kicking off his right before and gone, oh, that's not as good. Yeah. <laughs> I'll just stick with the other one. Yeah. <laughs> that works. Or he's so just taken by English rugby in general, he expects everyone is Johnny Wilkinson. <laughs> could just kick off both feet. Well, I suppose he'd come in for Johnny Wilkins. Newcastle may be disappointed by that with Crichton as well. They brought him in and were like, wait a second, you can't kick off one. You've never kicked the winning drop goal in the World Cup final. Who are you? Well, you're not having a once. five-year mental breakdown before signing for too long. What, <laughs> what are you? Spoiler, you haven't done 2003 yet, have you? No. <laughs> oh, yeah. Because that, that might not happen. This podcast is, is produced by George Lucas, I assume. That's what <laughs> But that's the problem, is I don't know whether it's spoilers for 2011, because it hasn't happened yet from the perspective of this podcast, or 2003, because it hasn't happened. It has happened from the perspective of this podcast, but it hasn't happened on this podcast. Yeah. But that's it. Anyone who's listened to every episode of the podcast knows that, like, we're not going to kill off Finale Macca towards the end of this series, <laughs> you know? We're not going to write him out of the script. Yeah, well, George Lucas struggled with this as well, because one of his big twists was that Darth Vader was his, his father. Yeah, we already knew that. You did that already. <laughs> that happened six films ago, mate. Isotola Maka goes, I am your father. So yeah, 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 yeah. Saw that on Wikipedia. Yeah, but if we ever get to the 2021 Women's World Cup series, it's the only two plot who can do the I am your father. It's just true. Twists. Yeah, whose father is she? I said it's the only two plot who. <laughs> oh, yeah, good point. Oh, that would be one hell of a twist, but Dan Leo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Dan Leo, Jonathan Kaplan, totally against it. Oh, this has gone wrong fast. <laughs> At one point I have written down in my notes, Tonga don't release on the floor, free all, there will be no discipline, which seems about right. Yeah, um, it's a very dumb yeah. penalty to give away. Yeah, very personal because like within seconds of that then, Steve Suarlo picks the winger up and just turns around and drops on his fucking head. Just like, <laughs> <laughs> no shit's getting, and Jonathan Kaplan says, yeah, lay note. Like, <laughs> can we have a moment for the uh, for something which is, I think it deserves its own like piece of rugby based terminology, mm. but the weird Vongalilo chip kick that he occasionally yes. does. Yes, 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 yes. There's something really niche about it, D- Robbie. Do you want to describe this for us? Not really. It's, <laughs> I mean, no. Just Vongalilo is a glorious, glorious man, and I think at three occasions this game he attempts a chip. There's a really weird type of chip that he does. Where he's got 
like one or two defenders in his face mm. and that's it. And then every, the whole other defensive line is like 40 metres behind that right, which is usually where you, like, you take it in, you try and step someone or get a bit of an offload in or just pass the ball to someone who's stood mm. miles away, right? But instead, he does this weird thing where he tries chipping it over them, but it goes perfectly like, like up in the air and not forward at all. I hope they run past you. It's the complete opposite of what I was thinking of for his chip kicks, which is they get to about head height and somehow then like bounce really high out of nowhere. There's some of those, but like there's that one he does early on where it goes perfectly like an inch above head height for whoever's chasing him. And then he regathers it and it's like, mate, this shouldn't have worked. But the thing is, he tries it twice in the first half and both times he ends up dropping the ball into touch. So make of that what you will. So he, I, I mean, think it's him. He was being dropped on his head at the time on the first one. That's true. Like, that is true. <laughs> I, I, I think hanging onto the ball was like the least of his worries as opposed to like protecting his cranium. <laughs> Fair point. Can't you do a chip at one point and the commentator says it's regathered by the guy with long hair? Oh. <laughs> the, the commentator, like, he loves talking about hair because he mentions Marcus Afro like I don't know how many times. At one point, he says he looks like he's in the Jackson 5. And then at one point, he just says, is he? And laughs. I'm like, this is not a good look. This, this <laughs> does not come across well. As a, as a middle-aged white guy, to just be talking about the air of ethnic minorities, I think, well, this, this, isn't, this isn't good, mate. Stop bringing up that he's got an afro. Like, I think mention it because you go like, oh, it's like this. Because it is massive, isn't it? Huge yeah. yeah. Huge if you compliment it, then... It. Yeah. Yeah. Then I think fair enough. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because and Sadie looks like he's in the Jackson fight. That's now that is like properly like Neil Francis in the Umpa Tan thing. Like that's <laughs> that's very much along those lines. But like, I mean, yeah. it's worth saying. Fidelmacher has a lovely head of hair, right? Amazing. It's glorious, right? I think that's okay to say. But the Jackson Five comments very weird. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Yeah. So Tonga get a bit of a good attack going in a rare moment in this half where they string some phases together rather than just either kicking or taking off a head. They get up into the 22 and we get one of my favourite moments of this game, which is Kane Thompson's doing the most blatant deliberate knock-on I have ever seen in my life. Yes. And I think I might have said that before, but I hadn't seen this one at that point. Because this is next level. Doesn't he punch the ball? He yeah, he basically he like full full on like volleyball style spikes it forward. <laughs> Just twats like, it into next week. It's incredible. Like he sends it like 10, 15 meters forward. 
has to jump at full reach in order to get to it and bats it like 10 meters forwards. And Jonathan Kaplan goes, oh, unlucky then, knock on. <laughs> Scrum to Tonga. It is one of the famously one of the best and most effective ways of killing an overlap by joining the attacking line, wielding a cricket bat and sending <laughs> the ball absolutely flying so the winger can't catch it. I yeah, think it's, it's an absolutely flawless like example. Shaun of the Dead, him just randomly swinging at it, just like knocking it. And it's a, it's a proper overlap. Like if you take him out of the picture, it's a definite try. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. Think. But with him in the picture, it's very funny. Jonathan Kaplan's whole referee install for this game is Mills Lane in Celebrity Deathmatch. It's just that everything's just like, I'll allow it and just carry on. <laughs> I greatly enjoy I The fact it was a lock jumping at full height, batting it forward, just added to something. Yeah. The fact that it was the same technique he'd used to bat the ball back in a line-out steal that he's using to deliberately knock it on. To just, be fair, just special no one moment. uses that technique for any line-outs in this game because they are the worst line-outs I've ever seen. Oh, there's one point where Samoa do an uncon- have an uncontested line like Tonga aren't going for it. And they just do the like tap ball back, like yeah. the worst ball for the scrum half who just about has to dive on it and recover it when he could have taken it cleanly and popped it down. But like the both packs are like most of them are, are based in France. And then we've got players from mm. like Lyon and Perpignan and then English players, like, there's Northampton players. So like these are players who, who are doing this at the highest level. It's not like the Portugal team at this World Cup were essentially amateurs doing that. Like yeah. these are professional clubs at the elite level of the game. Yeah, their lineups are shit. They are unbelievably bad. I enjoyed it though. And I'm a hook <laughs> Oh yeah, 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 yeah. There was a lot of things in this game that were a shambles, but it was better for it, you know. As I say, yeah. it was just it was just a Christmas derby. It was just two packs bullying each other all game and I I was kinda here for it. Yeah. But a, a Christmas derby where everyone's drunk on roast chicken from your mate's pub. Yes. <laughs> the first half was just, was a lot of it was just an exchange of penalties. Mm. Team kind of going back and forth, up and down field. Eventually, Samoa get to a 9-3 lead, I believe, like sort of 20, 30 odd minutes in. And you kind of think like, okay, it feels like Tonga are completely on top here. But also, they're constantly shooting themselves in the foot, so... In a way, Samo do deserve to be in the lead. It's a weird one. Yeah, I think they get to 12 free up at one point, kind of the furthest. Yes, they do. No, they do. And they do, yeah. it doesn't feel like they've been too score dominant in the game. No. But it's just been because both teams have been conceding penalties over and over again. Just Tonga have been doing them further up the field than Samoa have. Yeah. And it leads to that situation where they're suddenly slipping out of the game. But the commentator does explain that. And that's apparently because Ireland were poor the night before and it's affected all these players. <laughs> Which I, I'm not I'm not sure what the connection is there, but he, he seems adamant that that's why because Ireland and Georgia was a bit shit. So <laughs> make it that way you will. <laughs> it's the only possible explanation. <laughs> and then he talks about England again. So Oh he inevitably <laughs> stops, does he? Pierre Holland knocks over a penalty just before half time, and then they get a penalty straight off the restart because, of course, they do. And <laughs> this makes it dead on 40 minutes. The clock about to go red. At this point, of course, they couldn't kick it out and continue. If the line out would have been time up, they kicked it out. So Holland goes, Yeah, right, I'll take this shot from outer space. And he just lines up this penalty from well inside its own half on the angle, probably totaling like 65 odd meters, if not further back. And yeah, he's nowhere close. <laughs> Yeah, he just just wasn't didn't get anywhere close. They should have let Kane Thompson punch the ball over rather than <laughs> um, 
for the other team rather than yes. have uh, Biala try and kick it. The commentator, I'm sorry to, to, mm. to you know keep bringing him back up. I don't know he was his name, but I think it's fitting that they never do because he never. Was <laughs> He's at, at half time. He's missed the kick, and he says, "Well, he could have done with those points, and so could his side." Like, There's six points in it. Like it's not. <laughs> it's not like they, they're massively trailing. He's like, "Well, oh, that three points would have dragged them back into." It's one converted try, and they lead. Like, and also, like he's... he was trying to get them. Yeah. Like, <laughs> what do you think he was trying to do? Like, aiming for the, the corner flag. So yeah, great. Thanks for the tip. Get the points. <laughs> yeah. Well done. I mean, this is a spoiler, but when Tonga eventually score their try that puts them ahead deep into the second half, he says that is a try that has made a huge difference to the prospect of Tonga winning this game. <laughs> like, yeah, it's also, put them in the lead in the like sixty something minute. It's truly, like when you're trying to fill out your essay with more words, isn't yes. it? He also describes it though as an incredible try, and it's essentially just three pick and carries. That's all that happens. It's not an incredible try at all. It's but he backtracks on that later on, doesn't he, as well? And goes like, oh, it's a real shame that the only try we've seen here was so boring and just yeah. woke and them picking the ball up and just running with it rather than throwing it. And Shut then up. from that point on, every time Samoa touches the ball, he says, it's all attack for Samoa from now. <laughs> like 20 minutes to go, mate. Chill out. Like, it's fine. But that's funny because Samoa's attacked the entire game, right? Samoa basically had three approaches to the game that kind of like precursor zone theory, if you will. You know, this idea that like in in their own half, they kick it, they kick it a lot. Between the halfway line and the opposition 22, they give away penalties. And then when they get into the Tonga 22, they have one tactic, which is pass to Alizana to Alangi. <laughs> yes. <laughs> And sometimes it takes three or four passes, but they will do it. They will get the ball to Tuolangi. And the, the by the second half... That, of course, is that shouting, give it to Alessandro Tuolangi, doesn't roll off the tongue like give it to Shane does. <laughs> so by the time you set that move up, it's very difficult. <laughs> it's weird because I don't think Alessandro Tuolangi played that well in this game. And I think like, he, I think time, he's an utterly world class player, right? But there's like four or five points where Smurra in the twenty two and Tonga stand off everyone else but him. That's that's it though. The reason why Alessandro Tuolangi didn't play very well is because he was genuinely so heavily marked mm. that they just thought, oh, okay, we'll just put four people on him before he's even caught the ball, and we're all massive, so he'll probably drop it. And that did happen every time. It wasn't really Tuolangi's fault. It was yeah. just the fact that they, you know, didn't really have any other plans than just give it to the big lad. But like, you look at that Samoa team, right? And you have Mapasua, who's a complete player, like real threat, uh, like, in all aspects of the game. Yeah. Uh, makes one break late on that really shows what he could have done if they hadn't just been, if hadn't been shipping it out to every time. But on the other wing, they've also got Slotie Talling Fackenbau, who was yeah. London Irish at the time, who was a hell of a player. Serious finisher. Doesn't yeah. Have yeah, brilliant finisher. Was a just phenomenal player. Yeah, scored endless tries for London Irish in the time before they were just known as unspeakable cunts. Back when, you know, they were a rugby team. And yeah, played like 150-odd games for them, scored endless tries, was a real, real devastating player, and also had a brother who I think we talked about. We talked about his brother in the 20th We have, yeah, 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 because he played for Fiji there. But for anyone who doesn't remember the story about him, the Scarlets signed him by accident, thinking they were signing Silosi Tani Thakimbao, <laughs> which is really funny. And it, it did show. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the... It worked out for oh. them when they tried to sign Jonathan Davis again. 
much as they were just trying to get a presenter for Scarlet's TV. <laughs> so, oh, this guy's quite a handy centre, actually. Give him a go. <laughs> of course, There's... it's what's hampered the Osprey space programme is when they signed the wrong Michael Collins. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually they're trying to liberate Ireland. <laughs> It was a real problem there. You know, they fought with the URC and everything, you know, improve our relations, sign Michael Collins. And we might at least get one TMO decision. (laughs) (laughs) Try and keep, you know, like, we all know about the conspiracy. Well, no, we all know about both the conspiracies. One conspiracy that the Irish secretly run everything in, in rugby and the URC and it's all tied up and it's all there. And the other conspiracy that uh, I hate them. <laughs> and it's just as well they did sign that Michael Collins because I would have just spat instead of watching the Ospreys every week if it was a bloody Irish person like Tommy Bow. <laughs> I couldn't have, I couldn't, I couldn't bear it because that is how much I hate Ireland. People will take this at face value. <laughs> the thing is, you do actually hate Ireland, so. <laughs> Desperately, desperately. The time when I went to Ireland just before the pandemic, all I did was shit on the streets. <laughs> I, I think you're in, we're in danger now of at least knowing how you're going to get shot. Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Second half. Uh, Neil Lottie does a box kick. It's a good moment. I really enjoyed it. And it was a good one as well. Like, an open side flanker just going, no, screw it, my nine's on the floor, I'm going to take charge now, I'm the captain now, I'm going to do a box kick. And it went pretty well. Like, I'm here for it. I'm here for sevens doing box kicks. Any forward with any kicks is always a delight. Yes. Such as Vungalilo trying his chip kick again. <laughs> almost regathering it. You know, he almost almost gets the luckiest bounce oh, in the world. He always almost gets there, Vungalilo, doesn't he? Like that, I remember one of my main Vungalilo memories. I'm pretty sure I've mentioned this on a previous episode when we talked about Vungalilo. Was him aged about 40 playing for Wales against Tonga in 2018? Playing for Wales, <laughs> for Tonga against Wales in 2018. And I was sat, I was there, and I was sat right on touchline. And right in front of me, Wales put through like an, an attacking kick with like a grubber, and it was a foot race between him and Rob Evans, and Rob Evans won. <laughs> and Rob Evans, the prop. And seeing that up close, like I was on the front row of seats witnessing that was one of the most spectacular rugby moments of my life. <laughs> seeing Vungalila get done for speed by a prop from such close range was a dream come true for me as a child who grew up idolising Vungalilo, a slow fullback, thinking <laughs> I too could be that one day. It was at Cornish Pirates at this point. Yeah. Just boy. fact for you. Yeah, just, thanks just for the fact. fact. So Cecilia Tupelotti's dad comes on. Yes. Uh, and I, I I write down, go on, Cecilia Topolosu's dad. And you know what? It's really good off the bench. Yeah. I watched this before Cecilia Topolosu's incredible game this weekend as we record. And I think it just was clearly a really good omen for what was going to happen. A good, good weekend for the Topolosu family, clearly, because it's going <laughs> to happen this weekend. But no, it was good. Like, first thing he does when he comes on, he puts in an absolutely massive kick. And it's like, oh, wait. We're allowed to do those, like, effectively, rather than Pierre Holler left-footed, just having his um, accurate but not massive boot trying to dominate this and not quite working. Well, you say a non-accurate boot, but then off the tee, like, Pierre Holler was the top point scorer that didn't make it to the knockout stages. Mm. So, And yeah. he scored a lot more points than people who did make it to the knockout stages as well. But, yeah, he was the top scorer of the player who, who didn't play in any It's knockout. pretty good. 
I do like Pierre Holler, to be fair. <laughs> I do like Pierre Holler. I think I think he's a pretty good player. He fits with exactly what I was saying about Nicky Little last week, and he is a rare player whose big attribute was he took pace out of the attack. <laughs> yes. You could do it in 2007, you know. Yeah. Do you want to know a fun Pierre Holler fact? Yes. Jeez. If you take his birth name, his name is only one letter away from the captain in Brooklyn Nine-Nine. His name is Raymond Pierre Holler. So if you change the A for a T, he's Raymond Holt. Nice. <laughs> nice. Yeah. I think I think the word fact has done a lot of work there. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'll edit his Wikipedia page to include that fact. <laughs> Tui Pelotu's kick is is absolutely fantastic. He, he takes he calls a mark, takes a tap, and then thumps it about forty yards downfield. And it bounces into touch, and it's beautiful. And then the commentator's like, "Oh, stroke of luck!" And you're like, "What? <laughs> what have you been wanting?" One of the game? best kicks I've seen. Honestly, yeah. The thing is, it's at that point when Tong bring on a nine who is actually kicking mostly well. I just have it written down in my notes at one point. The more and more this game goes on, the more Samoa could do with a fly half who exists. <laughs> Know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. Oh, PR Holler puts in an absolutely beautiful banana kick around the hour mark. Yeah, but what's Lockie Crichton like, doing? Not banana kicks. He's doing bloody pear kicks and other things that don't exist. <laughs> like, Lockie, what's the move? Uh, I don't know, but I once played with Jonah Lomu, so um, I think we did this move called Give It to Number 11. So we'll give that one a go, okay? Ready? <laughs> that was exactly what that they did. Still, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it was their one tactic. Maybe that's it. Maybe he is just the greatest. If your entire game is built on getting it to your one great left winger, he is exactly the 10 you want. I imagine. Imagine every... how many Grand Slams Wales have won in the noughties of him. <laughs> See, is that what caused Wales to crash out in the pool stages? Because if he had come on and just given it to Shane, <laughs> he would have beaten Fiji. I imagine every single training session Samoa did, he just overruled Michael Jones at every opportunity. They're, they're getting the huddle, and he'd go, "Right, okay." So this one time, right, I played with Jonah Lomu, and obviously he was big, and we have we had a big winger there, and he was quite fast as well. We've got one of those as well. And I reckon at that point, what we did was we gave the ball to him, and we're going to do the same thing. And Michael Jones, they're like, "No, lucky, we have, we've look, we've been, we've been up all night devising these tactics. We're going to do." And he's like, "Yeah, but I played with Jonah Lomu, so that's what I'm going to do." All right. Do you do you think the reason he wasn't a big succession at Castle is because it isn't quite the same when it's James Hoyle? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe as well, constantly overruling Michael Jones of all people is why every ruck is a fucking mess. <laughs> <laughs> There is not one ruck in this game that is passable as a ruck. Oh, no. Well, that's sort of becoming the case throughout the whole tournament, is they're just... They look enough like rucks that you're sort of going, oh, that that's supposed to be a ruck, isn't it? But they don't actually <laughs> look like rucks. Like flying head butts in wrestling. Like, yeah. They're just diving in from everywhere. And then I had the other thing that, that really dates this is the commentator says, oh, that looks like a truck and trailer. And no one says that anymore. No. No one talks about a truck and trailer anymore. I do uh, it. You just call it obstruction is, now, don't you? Yeah. I still call it a truck and trailer because I'm hashtag old school, hashtag no woke in rugby. And <laughs> rugby bald. Yeah, let's bring back truck and the term truck and trailer. Like back in the day when rugby was good, when you used to tune in from school to watch the World Premiership and... <laughs> 
want to breathe would be winning games. And if they had Valley's Rugby now, there would be 8,000 people in one stand and 28,000 in the other. <laughs> yeah. The terrace alone would hold the entire population of Belgium. They'd all come <laughs> over just from the game. You'd have Brussels empty, empty when the bureaucrats come to try and send those laws for us to follow. Those unelected bureaucrats, they couldn't do it because there'd be no one there to bring them their iced coffee, their bloody woke soybeans. <laughs> They're too busy coming and watching the Montebourg region <laughs> play out a 6 free loss to Connaught. <laughs> Looking forward to the following week when they'll get beaten by 48 points by the Lions, yet the attendance will be even higher because you'll have people in helicopters <laughs> coming and floating at the top of the stadium. People hanging off it like Tom Cruise, looking down, watching the rugby, watching as Angus O'Brien plays 10, puts the ball out on the ball, allowing some South African wing you've never heard of to score their fourth try of the afternoon as Premier Sport sits there wondering, wondering what this could possibly mean for the World Cup. It's going to be beautiful, and I think they should bring that back. What I'll say is just don't have a health scare that day. The NHS is understaffed because everybody's off, booked the day off work to go and watch Bedwas playing in the the almighty cup competition against Toulouse. Geraint O'Driscoll is going to play really well in front of the 6,000 billion crowd that they've got in front of them. And it would solve everything. Do you think that is actually what the next election the Tory government is going to blame the NHS crisis on? Is Valley's the rugby. Regions. <laughs> the so-called regions. Ponty had three home games and now we're screwed, boys. <laughs> Look, the last time the NHS functioned fully, 2003. Coincidence? I think not. <laughs> the decline in junior doctors direct correlation to the Celtic Warriors going under. Ah, Jesus. <laughs> yes, correct. <laughs> yeah. What what region would Nate Bevan have been under? Oh, that's well, a, he'd be Cardiff, would he? Would he? I don't know. I'm trying to think where <laughs> there are no because they, they, they put stones for him in Pont- in Eberville, haven't they? Uh, Monmouthshire. So he'd be Dragons. Yeah. So would, would he be in? Uh, would he be in a Celtic warrior? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I reckon point. that's who he would have supported. Well, I suppose you've got yeah. Woody Nyron Owen. At the Dragons already, who was nicknamed NHS, <laughs> and he's injured, which is uh, pr- a pretty strong metaphor. All right, yeah, he, he's Devin, only called would have loved the Celtic the os- Warriors. He's called Sorry, NHS sir. because of the hospital passes he throws to his insane <laughs> 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 Because it stands for not Hawkins. Stop, because his name's Telegram. I no panicked there. <laughs> I have no idea what you mean. No, well, it's like, because he's not Hawkins, because that's another centre for Wales. And then it'd be like, on a telegram, you'd say stop at the end of the sentence. Stop. And that's why it'd say NHS. I don't want to continue this. Yeah, stop's stop. a good instruction. So um, <laughs> the rugby continues. I've got written on my notes. There's a uh, stoppage, or what the assistant describes as an elbow in the facial area. Yes. I think that's the next thing, thing that happens. And then obviously Jonathan Kaplan says, ah, I'll give him a warning. <laughs> he's, he's not bothered. 
I and then they show the beast lady like an actual happens anyway. She definitely doesn't elbow him in the face. <laughs> it's Bryce Lawrence on touch who calls him over, and he is so emotional. He goes, he elbowed him. And then he kind of has a moment where he tries to get his composure back and goes, in the facial area. And that man has a family. He might have kids. Won't somebody think of the children? The thing I find funniest about this, right, so this this scenario, so it's pole to pole, sort of counteracts somebody and his elbow is within, like, a few inches radius of somebody's face. Is kind of what he gets penalised for. And the referee yeah, goes up to him. <laughs> yeah. And the referee goes up to him and says, like, look, less of that, please. That's this this isn't a good look. And on the comms <laughs> Sorry. On the comms they say Harley Topole will be well watched regularly by right Bryce Lawrence as they both live yes. in New Zealand. <laughs> yes. He says he'll know him well. <laughs> Like, Bryce Lawrence has the whole game been man-watching Halle Tepole, like, I'm aware of this guy. He lives in the same country as me. But, like, so many of them live in New Zealand as well. Yeah, but he's picked like out one in particular. Yeah. Like, including the Samoan coach. <laughs> he's, like, he's on the sidelines. He's constantly having to turn around and check him. I don't like, know if he's aware of this, but rugby's quite big in New Zealand. Yeah, 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 yeah. Nearly like as big as valleys, yeah. Like... <laughs> Do, do they not realise New Zealand has a bigger population than 20? It's not <laughs> like they go to the same church or, you know, youth group or whatever. You know, it's like they're from the same country. That's it. They clearly think that everyone in New Zealand knows each other, which actually, from every conversation I've had with a Kiwi, seems to be true. <laughs> I mean, we can't say anything. We're Welsh. Like, but it's like <laughs> everyone does. But my cousin, uh, my brother did that to my cousin who lives in Austin. And he was like, oh, I've got a friend who lives in Texas. You might know him. And you're like, no, of course he doesn't know him. Texas is fucking massive. Like, that is an insanely big place. No, of course they don't know each other. It's not like it's got one paper shop and they both buy the Daily Mail on a Sunday there. Like... <laughs> but the, the thing about this moment is it seems to spark just Harley to Pole going absolutely yeah. mad for the last 20 minutes. Yeah. So they, they warn him in particular. Like, they call him over and they're like, no more of this. And he goes, cool, more of this. Yeah. Even though what he did originally was quite, you know, nothing. But mm. then, after that, he just goes, okay, I'm going to show him what a penalty really is. If you think that's worth penalising, wait till you see my next trick. It's worth saying, around this time as well, Tonga do score their try. Yeah, uh, the one try of the game. Probably worth mentioning in dispatches. Epitione, yeah, Epitione back of them all. They, they once again don't know who it is for ages. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Incredible try. Incredible they also try. say, goodness knows why the centre was there. It's like, yeah, because he was a number eight for like most of his career. <laughs> it's natural that he would be scoring drive over tries from short range because he's really powerful and it works. And you know what? He takes his try well. So in the Pacific Warriors documentary that you previously mentioned, he is asked about that try and he says, yeah, it was a 90 meter sprint for the line. Very straight faced. And then after a while goes, nah, it's from two metres, but it felt like a 90 metre sprint for the line. Which is, I think, honestly, the second straightest I've ever heard anyone make that joke. After Adam Jones on Scrum 5, after his try against England from two metres out, describing him sidestepping Hugo Monia in great detail. (laughs) And then saying, like, I saw Cueto coming alongside, looked outside me, thought, I've got someone quick. No, it's just Shane, I'll go myself. Yeah, skin Cueto. (laughs) It's one of the great rugby clips that someone needs to find. I desperately want to see that again. Yeah, so he talks about that try, saying it was a 
great effort, bloody bloody blah. And Lardy said from about that moment on, we just knew we were going to win the game. And he said he went in feeling there was no chance of him ever losing it, but he felt like everyone else bought in that. I think you can see that in the in the Tonga team, like they visibly go up a few gears and look like considerably more pumped up after the try. No, yeah, definitely. And like, there's a sense of calm, like within the Tongans after that. Well, not calm, they're not calm at all. But there's a sense <laughs> of kind of assurance that what they're doing is good. Mm. Um, I had to phrase that very carefully. Yes. But... <laughs> Especially to Pole. Yeah, like, he is yeah, so yeah. confident in what he's doing. Yeah. From this point on, like to Pole, it's like the, the film The Joker. Like you feel like it's been building up to them. This is just like his descent or, or ascent, depending on how you want to look at it. Like he is definitely not calm at any point from this. <laughs> no, no, calm no, no. was a very poor choice of word. It hurts <laughs> even more that Samoa bring on Robert De Niro. <laughs> but yeah, so the Tapole thing, right? Mm. So he just goes absolutely yeah. berserk for the last twenty minutes. And as I say, he's just constantly one-upping the last penalty he gives away. And Samoa gets the ball. And it's like he's accidentally like jammed his finger on the give away a penalty button. Because it's just constant, so, the stuff he's doing. One of my, maybe my favourite bit of the section on this game in the Pacific Warriors documentary okay. is Latu says that the referee called him over in between those two, in between him elbowing him and the next thing he does. Okay, yeah. Um, and Latu calls him over and says, there's way too many penalties against your team. You know, we need more discipline or I am going to start giving out cards. Which he should have been doing already. Elbow oh. to the facial area. Or maybe he did. Maybe we just didn't see it. That's <laughs> true. Oh, yeah. E.P. Tayoni says of that, of that card, his card in the first half. I wasn't biting or stamping the head or punching. So I don't know what it was for. I think it was unlucky. <laughs> The game has indeed gone soft, and I think I should go back to everything I was just saying about bloody wokeness. No, so Latu says, after that warning about them saying, I'm going to start giving out cards, he then goes back, calls the whole team in, and he said, let's go back to plan B. And he said, everyone looked at Did me Did they and said, start on plan B and then move to plan A later on? <laughs> well, that, yeah, everyone, he says, everyone looked at me and said, what do you mean? And he never elaborates. He changes the <laughs> conversation. <laughs> That's so, incredible. So I don't is plan A give away lots of penalties. <laughs> so yes, sense. and so was plan B. <laughs> yeah. Plan, plan, plan B, B is give away lots of penalties and cards. Yeah. <laughs> plan B's only hail to parlay give away penalties. <laughs> and he does so in style, to be fair. Like he, he fully wind pipes Dan Leo <laughs> and then continues to drag him by his Adam's apple. And Jonathan Kaplan says, right, I've had enough of this. That, that's another warning. <laughs> you stop it. You stop grabbing people and clotheslining them and put, dragging them across the floor, okay? you If you dare do that again, you're getting at least a penalty given against you. The commentator sees this incredibly violent, like, sudden windpiping straight in the throat as Leo's face kind of contorts and pulls backwards and his neck, like almost snaps in two as he then gets dragged along the floor. The commentator sees this and says, oh, it's almost a yellow card. <laughs> but obviously, what we've learned about Dan Leo since, Topoli is uh, he's the hero in this. That's what He's, <laughs> that, he's the anti-hero of the whole thing. Yeah, <laughs> it's him. Hi. <laughs> but they, they kick the goal. It becomes like, what, 15, 19 at this point to Tonga. So the gap is closing and Tipole is not getting any more sane. And frankly, there's a part of you that thinks the best thing for Samoa 
is if Topole could have just stayed on the field for as long as possible so he could keep <laughs> doing these things and giving them kickable penalties. Because, like, the, the next one he does is just mad. That just completely unprovoked. He goes for what I've described as a weird punch. It, it, it's kind of a forearm smash. Yeah, yeah. It, and, and from the side, it's not like there's something's happening. He's just like he sees the player coming in. He's like, I'm, I'm fucking having him. I'm <laughs> having him. I don't care. It, it's, it's like he's like... decided in the second half he's going to try and give away every type of penalty. <laughs> It's like once like, there's a lot of kinds of violence that are uh, umbrellaed in the in the rules. But then the commentators say, "Oh, he's made the most of that." <laughs> <laughs> it's just smashed him in the head, and then I, I assume he gets sent off at Lato's request. <laughs> <laughs> it's great because Jonathan Kaplan calls him over and he's like, "It's you! I've had enough of you. You've done it again. You've been really naughty. You've punched another guy in the face." Stop it! I, I I wish there was something I could do to stop you from doing this. And then the touch show with Bryce Lawrence just comes in and goes, "Mate, you can you can send him off." And he's kind of like, "Holy shit! Can I do that? <laughs> I can stop him from playing altogether." But he gets like a straight when... red card for a piece infringement. Yeah. <laughs> he's that level of indiscipline. <laughs> <laughs> like when uh, Joe Frost used to come on and super nanny and say, you know, you, you know, you can discipline these kids. Like that's the part <laughs> where you make the parents. And the parents are like, oh, oh, no, these steps are a great idea. <laughs> <laughs> the first eight years, pal, that, that was Jonathan Kaplan. <laughs> There's a bit in the documentary again where Tapale talks about this card and he just kind of goes, yeah, I got sent off. <laughs> and that's all he's going to say on it. And then he's asked about this game in general. And he says that it's probably, he says, this is when I think of that World Cup, this is the first game I think of. And it's probably the most memorable and special game of my career. Because <laughs> <laughs> he got to just win by six people. His kill-death ratio was phenomenal. And he yeah. talks about how many of his closest friends are on the Samoa team as well. <laughs> Which just makes it all the worse. Like maybe he just really didn't want to go to sit at his birthday party. Just wanted to get himself uninvited. It's a really special game for me. It's the most headshots I've completed in 80 minutes. <laughs> Ioni also says when he's asked about the red card, he said, I think he sent him off for a bad haircut. <laughs> I think he sent him off for twatting a guy in the face. Yeah. He then says, Yeah, ref probably couldn't bear to look at him anymore, so he just sent off one of the ugly ones. <laughs> It's worth like you've you pointed this out. It's quite unusual that something like that would go straight to red rather than yellow first. Yeah, the fact that he's done two yellow card offences to get like two yellow cards equaling a red, except the second one was committed in the period where he would have been in the sin bin, yeah. and also they were both red card offences, yeah. not yellow card offences. <laughs> but it's like, yeah, if I give you a yellow card, you're going to come on and commit another one. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, just save just, us both some time. Yeah, skip the middle, man. <laughs> And it's great, yeah, as I say, it's it's the best thing for Tonga, where this where Tipole, who had, you know, wasn't playing badly until the, the Tipole Bonanza, as it is known, and he just starts, yeah, giving away every single penalty, and he just goes nuts. It's absolutely ludicrous, and then they stop giving away penalties when he's off the field, almost. Except for the next card. That I'm yeah, except for the yellow card. The... But to be fair, you know, this, that last yellow, the last card, I think that's probably disputable even under today's laws. So the fact that he didn't pull, like, 
the yellow cards that he didn't give are all mm. a lot worse than this. <laughs> Where he just he casually kind of slides up. There's not really a lot in it. Like it's a definite penalty, and you got to get a borderline yellow. Whereas, yeah, well, yeah, Tapoli's like decapitated three people before this. <laughs> I <laughs> do just... think that if Tonga and Tapole in particular hadn't been doing all of that, he might have just let them off with just a penalty. Whereas because Tonga's discipline was so terrible, I think he was kind of like, well, no, fuck these guys. <laughs> Took him a while to get to that point, though. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. He was very patient. <laughs> a bit strange that Kaplan was the one that was tolerant. <laughs> it's also like, I also want to mention that, that Toke, the replacement prop, is on for 68 seconds before he gets sent <laughs> off again. Like, he comes on the <laughs> stoppage after Tapale is sent off. <laughs> So I don't know if he like handed the armband over to him as the official penalty machine of the team or something. You, <laughs> he comes on. He walks off, walks past him in the tunnels. Like you know what to do. Yeah. Do I? <laughs> like, literally, his only involvement of the game is a high tackle he gets binned for. That's incredible. Also, Tomatoke, great name. Yeah, very good name. Very good name. So good that the commentator can't get it right at any point. <laughs> he calls See, to- also Tommy- every player. He calls him Tommy Taki at one point. Tommy Taki. Just a great name. There then comes a point. So Samoa obviously have the ball in the Tongan 22, opposite 13 men, and go, oh, we've got a really good idea here, actually. They've got two men sent off, which means two less players who could potentially tackle two Alangi. And I actually played with Jonah Lomu this one time, and he would often score against teams which had 15 men there. So with 13, I think Tuolangi could do some damage. And no, they were still fine with it. Yeah. And now Maka comes up with this phenomenal breakdown turnover where he's got like the whole of Samoa trying to take his head off and still comes up with the ball. It's a proper, like, that is the game-changing moment because that's the moment where... Tonga do something positive, like rather than compounding just penalty after penalty. There's another moment in that passage or in that period when they're down to 13, where they have about a five man overlap, except they've made one key mistake, which is they've got it to Tulangi too soon. And Tulangi's kind of in the 12 channel when you want him out on the wing and he has to deliver the pass to the next guy. And there's a combination of the pass isn't perfect, but it's not terrible. And I, I'm not sure who it was out wide knocks it on. And suddenly it's all starting to fall apart when that was the Giltes chance. That was the moment to put them back ahead and they, they blow it. Though they do also bring on David Lemmy in this kind of like, we need des- we need someone on the other wing to score a try, who at one point I think goes for the most ambitious sidestep I've ever seen, which as he's regathering the ball, he goes to step three people at once and accidentally goes into touch. <laughs> Every time Lemmy got the ball, he either made like a half break or went into touch. There was no <laughs> in-between. Well, the thing is, it, it's all attack from Samoa from now. Um, again, <laughs> apparently. It's all attack. Yeah, I heard it was all attack. I'm not sure where from. Some from great now. source, probably. <laughs> from now. <laughs> but like this game is sort of, as we said, there's not as much incident over the first 65 minutes. The moment Tonga score, and then Tapoli goes nuts, it bursts into so much life. Like the last 10, 15 minutes, I thought was fantastic. It's so exciting and end-to-end, and Samoa have so many chances they keep blowing. And Latu says in the documentary that they just had to tackle their hearts out. And you can see the sheer effort going in. Like, Issy Pulu, I thought, was like unbelievable, the mm. amount of tackles he's making and work he's putting in. And like at one point, they do a massive clearance out the 22 from Pierre Holler. And Pulu was the first person chasing up to make the tackle. And He was very good. Yeah, everywhere. Um, that, yeah. The back row in particular, I mean, the two players in the back row that's still on the pitch in particular... Yes. 
everywhere. <laughs> the back row weirdly kept screwing up the tongue and scrums, though. Like, they'd hook the ball back, and then Topole's massive boot would just end up melting it into the Samoan side of the tunnel somehow. He's trying really to kick weird. one of the Samoans. <laughs> yeah, he ended up popping think, the ball. I don't think either team needed help to, to knacker their own set piece, to be fair. I think <laughs> they're pretty good at doing that themselves. That's <laughs> true. Also, in the last play of the game, there is not a team I've ever seen who looks so uncomfortable managing a game than Tonga. <laughs> they get the ball just outside the Samoa 22 with 77 minutes on the clock. And they, for three minutes, start trying to wind the clock down and do the like little pick and goes and you know pops the next guy. And then after a while, the scrum half just gets bored and randomly chips it <laughs> one metre in front of him to the winger. Who takes a mark and yeah. like, runs it back, obviously. It's so stupid. Especially, like, I think Tilpilotu was, as I said, like, really good off the bench. And then he does mm. that, and it's just like, what the hell are you doing? What do you think is good that will happen off that? It's, it's stupid. just a bizarre... Because it's a bizarre choice to try and run the clock down for three straight minutes anyway. Mm. And not even to set it for a drop goal or anything else or, you know, whatever else. No, no, they're just going <laughs> to try and wind the clock down for three That's minutes. Once have gone and away then, with it, though. Yeah, then why are you trying that kick in particular? At least hang it in the air and hope they knock it on or something. Yeah. You know, don't just randomly chip it one inch in front of your face and don't chase it. It's very weird. And obviously they just spread it and David Lemmy makes a break. Then you cut like... to a fan in the stands who is winding someone's ear off, just chatting about why it was a shit decision, clearly. <laughs> like some fuming Tonga fan in the stands. <laughs> But Samoa obviously have a free run against 13 players mm. and make a couple of really good line breaks off it. And they're four points down at this point and looking to, you know, to win the game when Tonga have potentially thrown it away there. And yeah, Lemmy makes a break down the right-hand side. Gavin Williams does this really nice grub oh. kind of... I say it's really it's nice. On. It's very... It's nifty, on. It but, just doesn't... Yeah. yeah. Um, well, but Tonga flops on it. The one thing that they got right was they said Samoa play well when Gavin Williams plays well, and mm. Gavin Williams did not play well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think that's fair enough. That's fair enough. But that that almost works, and Samoa get up to the Tongan 22, and there is a real sense of tension here, and I, I didn't know the score going into this, mm. so I wasn't really sure what was going to go on. I think I suspected that Tonga might win, but as you say, like Samoa are very much the favourites going in. So Thompson crashes up to the Tongan 22 and there's a moment where Junior Polo who's on for Samoa spots that it's on blindside and delivers a pass that just doesn't just isn't quite there for Sevier Lee who has to kind of dip down and kind of take it off his toes and try and try to throw a really forced offload after that and that's where it all goes wrong his pass goes forward it's very panicked I'm not watching the final minute of this game, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> I think it ends with the dance. Oh, no, that's the step up to the streets. Um, <laughs> I know, it, it's Tonga going through phases. It's Tonga yeah. going through phases for the last minute. Yeah, and then they put it out. And then they kept it out. Yeah. And it's absolute scenes on the full-time whistle. Oh, completely. They love it. Yeah. The and the Tongan crowd are going mad. Obviously, Neely Latu runs straight to the crowd to look for a Tongan flag that he can parade around the pitch, and it's great. So, Philea, the Tongan coach, refers to this as a brotherly smack to Samoa, <laughs> which, I mean, I've heard, I heard when I've growing up in dodgier parts of Nottingham, I heard about brotherly smack quite a lot, but never at the Rugby World Cup before. So, did you think it was like a brotherly smack, brother? 
Shut up. <laughs> that was abruptly smack. But yeah, no, I yeah, it's a hell of the scenes at the end. Tonga absolutely love it. This was talked of as one of their biggest World Cup wins ever at the time. A couple of the players in the documentary refer to it as their biggest win in a World Cup ever up to that point. Obviously, they go on to beat France in the following World Cup. But, of course, yeah. You know, up to there. Not uh, spoilers. Also, covered it. Yeah, Lato also says that after after the end, he said the entire team felt like they were going to beat England and South Africa as well. They just felt wow. like they could go all the way. That's great. It was I the moment that. they started to believe. And he said Lato felt like there was this vibe in the camp that day that we're going to go all the way. We're going to win the World Cup. I um, love that, right? Yeah. And don't get me wrong. Off the way they played in this, I wouldn't agree. But <laughs> I think they did play very well and like deserved to win. I wouldn't say they were world beaters off the back of this, but they definitely deserved this. And that's a huge victory for them. And I can only imagine how much orange juice they consumed after this. <laughs> Tell you what. Right. So the team had had, as well as the KFC rules, they'd also had in place very strict rules around their drinking. They had a strict curfew in place. They had, you know, certain like places they weren't allowed to go and eat the whole lot. However, after this game, E.P. Tyone went, you know what? I'm just going to ignore the curfew. (laughs) And he went out on his own, got incredibly pissed, got incredibly drunk, got back to the hotel around 1am, figured he'd head back, you know, a bit earlier, got in around 1am and found all of the rest of the team still up, pissed out of their minds, (laughs) incredibly drunk. Bunch of legends. They all gone and celebrated and started and got drunk without him together. (laughs) And apparently, like, a local vineyard had dropped over, like, a huge bunch of wine for them to congratulate them because they've you know really been embraced by this local town so they, they just really, had this like shit ton of wine they've been getting they really the got the best out of the local pub industry <laughs> really didn't they did. the, the tongan team of france and they're just like like locusts like they've just eaten and drunk everything and then left it's all they consumed their biggest world cup win until they beat ireland in 2023 which you're going to cover in, in the next season yes i can't <laughs> wait I'm very excited for that one because I love Tonga rather than because I hate Ireland. But yeah, I, I wonder what E.P. Tayoni got up to on his night out alone in mm. a small town in France after beating Samoa. Someone turn it into a film. Yes. I like that bloody Coach Beard episode of Ted Lasso. Like he just gets up to an adventure on his own and then gets back to the rest of them. I, I, I've not watched Ted Lasso yet and I feel like I'm the last one. Oh, you'd enjoy watch- it. Yeah. Yeah, do you know mine is pure stubbornness because I had a free trial to Apple TV for a year, mm. and I watched absolutely no programs on it. <laughs> and then as soon as it expired, everyone went, "Oh, that Ted Lasso was really good." Mm. And I was like, "Well, I'm paying for it now." So I will watch it. I I was one of the ten people who watched it the first week it came out because it was this sort of like slow build from there, and everyone when it first came out was like, "Oh, that's going to be shit." Yeah, it's I like a football show based on an advert. Like, of course, it's going to be shit. Yeah, but then I slowly had to come out like, no, this is this is good. This is good, and no one would believe you. No one would believe you when you tried to tell people that actually I really like this football show based on an advert. But that is beside the point because do you know what the point is, William Rizzo? In what is the point other than the fact that I'm extremely honoured? 
the point is uh, it's time for Man of the Match and Dick of the Day. Whoa, didn't see that one coming. Ooh, should we start with Man of the Match? Actually, no, yeah. Dick of the Day I think would be fairly easy. Okay, okay, yeah. I mean, it's weird because on one hand, I wanted to give it to Paul Dickerson for just genuinely like doing his best to ruin this game for me when, as I say, I enjoyed the spectacle for what it was. I thought it was great seeing these two teams of quite similar styles really go at each other in what is quite a kind of attritional game. And I kind of love those in Rugby World Cups when it's tier two v tier two and one of them has to really grind it out and you get to see the best of them at the full-time whistle when they're celebrating. And these commentators just, or this commentator in particular, just didn't put any effort in at all to like selling it as an occasion and genuinely made it really hard to watch at times. So that is kind of who I want to give Dick of the Day. But then also, what do I do with Harley to Pole? <laughs> yeah, um, Paul, Paul Dickerson's my Dick of the Day. He's got Dick in his name. Way yeah, bounce. Dick by name, Dick by nature. Bounce, bounce, bounce. I'm going to say I had exactly the same frame of logic. <laughs> Like, I want to give it to him. Hell to Pole did go on the most ridiculous rampage since a bloody arcade what cabinet. What can I give him? Yeah. Well, exactly. You need a separate violent prick award. <laughs> but ultimately, you can't overlook the Dick's son for the Dick. Dick. It's Carl Dick. It's Paul, Paul Dickerson. It's the commentator. Oh, I just had the commentator said. down. Yeah. I, as usual. Grav? Strong Carl Dixon vibes because I'm giving it to Jonathan Kaplan for his refusal to do any refereeing. <laughs> You've got one job. And he was kind of like a downtrodden father whose kids have run riot. He's like, anything I say, they're not going to listen to. So I'm just going to fucking say it. And do nothing. <laughs> I keep watching the telly and hope that they go away. And that's, that's yeah, Jonathan Kaplan is, is my dick of the day. Oh, him and his fellow Nazis are so hard done by, aren't they? <laughs> I've always said that about the Nazis. <laughs> Must be the worst game to see yourself handed, though. Samoa v Tonga in front of like a packed crowd. But, but most people go in there and think, right, I'll set my stall out early. Mm. And we'll, we'll have an early penalty and a card, and hope that that calms things down. No, we'll get we'll get seventy minutes into the game and avoid three <laughs> potential wrecks. <laughs> also, did anyone read the YouTube comments on this game? I, I skimmed them. There's one like 58 long comment thread of two people arguing over who the better team was. It's pretty funny. <laughs> it goes on forever. There's a lot of people saying like, oh, they're our brothers and I love this contest. Good physical rugby. Yeah. Uh, man of the match. match then, yeah. Man of the um, match. For a lot of it, I was kind of going like, well, he was not great in the first half, but I feel like if they win this, it's going to be... There's going to be an influence of Pierre Holler on this, right? And he definitely picked it up in the second half. Sorry, this guy. This guy. <laughs> but actually, as I got to the last 10 minutes and stuff started happening, I kind of realised, like, low-key, for now, Maka had been the best player all along. Mm. And he carried really, really well. And we've not really had much opportunity to talk about him. But I feel like anything that resembled a big moment in this game had he was something to do with. So I'm going to give it to Fanal Maka. Uh, Grav? I had Maka down originally because he was incredible and the fact that all they talked about for the first hour was his hair was like a real like piss yeah, on his parade. Yeah. He was absolutely superb. And I didn't he captain Tonga when they beat France then in, in two Yeah, yes. he did, yeah. So like unbelievable. Fantastic but, player, yeah. But I'm gonna give it to Tipole because like he came <laughs> on, he disrupted everything, he windpiped the known transform, and then he got himself sent off before he could give away the penalty that would have cost them the game. <laughs> that is perfect game management. He was the only <laughs> one 
in the game that that that, that game management. So he's my man of the match. He got sent off by a Nazi for windpiping a transphobe. Yeah, <laughs> that's like the, it, it, he is the hero of both our podcasts. Surely. <laughs> He's not My headcanon is J.K. Rowling has been subbed on for Samoa. <laughs> he's not just man of the match. He's my new messiah. <laughs> I completely get why the Osprey signed him off the back of this World Cup. <laughs> <laughs> Makes me more proud of the heritage. Him and Philo Tiatia in the same back row. Yes, please. <laughs> Imagine um, if to have had him, Tiatia, and Jerry Collins. <gasps> and then going, right, we're going to turn up lads and cousin trouble. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine being the poor, like, young Connor flanker. <laughs> we have that. Bloody the Italian team's first year in the Pro 12, and that's what they're faced with. I mean, the drive past Port Albert to, with them three weeks in view of the other side. <laughs> I drive past Port Albert. <laughs> so I think for now, Maka was fantastic. As you say, involved in a lot of the big moments, but also involved in a lot of the key moments. And... Crucially, unexpect- more unexpectedly so, I think Kissy Pulu was absolutely brilliant. You know, I love like, it. Great scrum work, but like his sheer work rate for a tight-head prop. And you look at those last 10 minutes in particular, the amount he goes up, like the gears he goes up in terms of his work rate, how far he's putting himself across when they go down two men. He is the guy that's kind of going like, okay, I'll just make twice as many tackles now. And I love that. The, the sheer work he gets through, like for me, Kissy Pulu, is is the 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 narrow man of the, if I was on TV, I don't know if I'd be you know if I was the co-commentator, I don't know if I'd give it to him. But here I am because I uh, I was in awe of his event, the performance he eventually gives as the game goes up. Plays eighty minutes as well, which whew, for a tight get through that much work. Yeah, yeah, I love Amazing. it. That's a great selection, great player, Kissy Pulu. So that somehow after about eighteen hours brings us through. <laughs> Great. Thank you very much for joining us. Where can Thanks. people find you? Where can we find the podcast? Where can we find everything if they want to hear even more of this? We're Rock and Roll Podcast. I'm R&R Rugby on more socials. We're rockandroll.co.uk, I think, is the website. And we're on the Sports Social Network as well. And then I'm other places doing other things. <laughs> Thank it's... you for coming on, back on the podcast. You're always a very good guest. Love your own podcast as well. Anybody who hasn't listened to it, please do check mm. it out. Very it well answers a lot of really important questions about <laughs> hippos mooing and that kind of stuff. Um, <laughs> but we obviously had Patricia on a couple of episodes ago. The two of you are excellent entertainment together. So, yeah, much appreciated that you've come back yeah. on. Uh, really enjoy your stuff. No, it's been great coming on here. So I don't listen to many rugby podcasts anymore. I think it's like this and the Scottish rugby podcast is the only one that read. Oh. So like, yeah. When, when, oh. I think when you start doing rugby podcasts, listening to mm. podcasts is a bit like, So yeah, they are, I'm, this is one of the ones that I'm still sticking with. So oh, thank you. lovely to be on. I think it's purely because it's more stupid than informative. Yeah. <laughs> like you're not... <laughs> The less rugby that's in my rugby podcast, the happier I am. (laughs) Absolutely. It's the way forward. It's the future. And bloody JB, I hope you're paying attention to that. Um, (laughs) So if you could just stop talking about rugby end off, that would be wonderful. It'd be good for your listening figures, which we all know are a billion. Anyway, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Crab. Thank you, Will, as ever. Thank you for listening. And please join us next week when we will be looking at Another infamous game that 
was probably not brilliant, but I'm looking forward to. Georgia against Ireland, the infamous very narrow win for Ireland. I am excited to see Ireland do badly because I love Georgia and not because I hate Ireland. <laughs> 